Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com Seattle's a great place to visit because it has, I guess you could say, a little bit of everything, but I like to think of it as a lot of everything. You're listening to KNKX. When you're a business owner and gentrification comes to your neighborhood, you're faced with a choice. You can hunker down and resist or try to capitalize off it. Few places in the region are gentrifying faster than Tacoma's historically black hilltop neighborhood. 88.5's Will James takes us to a barbecue joint balancing the perils and promise of change. To stand outside Bob's Barbecue Pit is to see a gentrification wave beginning to curl. A block away, a new artisanal coffee shop is brewing. Down the street are plans for an apartment building with studios renting for up to $1,400 a month. But to walk inside Bob's... Uh, is to walk into the past. Hanging over the counter are paintings of Robert and Elizabeth Littles, who opened the first Bob's Barbecue Pit 70 years ago. It's been here in Tacoma's hilltop neighborhood since the late 80s. Their ribs. I always order their ribs. Customers like Julia Alexander have been coming to Bob's for decades. She first came with her dad. I remember he used to bring me in there. I used to spin around and play on the... The, the, the stools, they used to have those old-time stools. And the walls, they're covered in obituaries and memorials to people who used to eat here. I, I don't like them, <laughs> but the community loves them. Jonathan Clark runs this place now. His grandparents, the ones in the paintings, founded the original Bob's. He says some of his customers look for their relatives on these walls every time they come in. And so that part, yeah, it's, it's worth getting up every day for But Jonathan worries Bob's could be the next black-owned business to disappear from the hilltop. Years ago, his family lost the building where the restaurant operates. They had a loan and couldn't make a quarter-million-dollar balloon payment that came due. The property got snapped up by a company that specializes in building commercial office space. Bob's hasn't had a lease in a couple years. And it kind of leaves me in the air to wonder what is going to happen next. I mean, I could get a notice saying, in 90 days, we need you to be out of here because we're going to do this. I I just wish they would tell me exactly what they want to do. Jonathan grew up in the hilltop, and he's seen a lot of change. The neighborhood lost more than a third of its black population between 2010 and 2015, and rents have only shot up since then. But Jonathan's feelings about all this, they're complicated. As a hilltop native, he feels one way. I, I I know almost everybody on every block. I also deliver their paper, I cut their grass, 
Um, and there are a few still that own their houses. Very few. In that respect, I do feel sad. But as a business owner, he sees gentrification as an opportunity. And that's one reason he'd like to stick around. It made me think, if I'm going to be a part of this community and part of the game, you have to be in the game. In fact, seeing all this change on the horizon, he wants to be a part of it. For a while, he himself dreamed of knocking down the restaurant and putting up a new building. So it would have shops on the bottom, and then you'd have either low-income housing or senior housing up top. And of course, the penthouse would be mine up top. <laughs> I'd move in there. Um, but due to the economy, that just didn't happen. So here he is, doing his best to adapt. No weekend warriors here. We do this day in and day out. If you want to understand how much the hilltop has changed, you just have to talk to Paul Waller, who runs the kitchen. He and Jonathan have been friends since they were six. See, when we were kids growing up, the hilltop was a utopia for black folks. You know, because a lot of them were retired military families that had came up here and had purchased their homes. But then? The children went a little crazy. You know, then when the war on drugs, you know, cocaine came in from L.A. with the L.A. boys and all that, and a lot of the young black men in the community got inducted into the Crips and the Bloods, all hell just broke loose. He's talking about the time he was growing up, from the early 80s through the early 90s. By the time I was 25, I'd been to over 100 funerals, and I didn't go to funerals for almost 10 years until my grandparents started dying. Because I got sick of seeing people I loved in coffins. Since then, the shooting has largely stopped. But a lot of the families he grew up with aren't here to see this new hilltop. In many cases, white families have replaced them, many of them from Seattle. And that's only accelerating. Four years from now, a new light rail station is supposed to connect the hilltop to downtown Tacoma. By 2030, you'll be able to ride trains from here to Seattle. And Jonathan, he's trying to embrace all this. When that coffee shop opened up on the block, he didn't complain. He brought them ribs. Wesley Johnson is one of the owners of Manifesto Coffee. Definitely they're our biggest competition for making the neighborhood smell good. You can smell us from about a block away. You can smell them from about two blocks away. So (laughs) pretty good. I went and had coffee there, and I was just kind of impressed with their technique. They were roasting the coffee right in front of me. Jonathan's excited about places like this bringing new foot traffic past his restaurant, and he's getting ready. He's signed up for delivery apps like Uber Eats, he's raised his prices a little, and he's even tweaked his recipe for collard greens. Some people don't eat pork now, so what we've done is we've changed and used a a smoked turkey tail or smoked turkey necks or something like that. He says keeping up with all this change is hard work and a little scary, but to him, there's a reason to look toward the future. It's to keep the past alive. He points out the voices we've been hearing in the background this entire time. Turns out they're relatives of a guy who used to come in here. He passed away about two years ago. And um, so ever since then, every year of the date of his passing, they always come in here and have dinner. Now, that's not the only family that does that. And that's why he says if he loses this building, he'll look to open Bob's somewhere else. But definitely in the hilltop. Will James, 88.5 News. And then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats that were out. Or what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Our sick, our sick white brothers. White brothers.
Martin Luther King Jr., 50 years ago today, set off four days of riots and looting in Washington. Nearly 1,000 businesses were destroyed, along with a number of black commercial corridors, including those on 14th Street Northwest and H Street Northeast. Those same corridors have now become bustling nightlife districts with bars, restaurants, and pricey condos. In the first part of our series, When Washington Burned, WAMU's Martin Ostermuel reports that obstacles and delays in the decades-long rebuilding left out many black residents. If you stand at the corner of 14th and U Streets on a warm evening, you'll see crowds of people walking to and from all the bars and restaurants. Some will be coming out of the new Trader Joe's supermarket, and others will be heading home to the residential buildings that have popped up in recent years. Fifty years ago before the riots, this was also one of the city's busiest and most vibrant intersections. It was a junction, a hub for all the activity in the in the African-American community, a lot of the African-American nightlife was focused right on U Street. Stanley Mays grew up a block south of 14th and U, where he remembers gathering after King's assassination. Mays has also witnessed the area's dramatic transformation. It's good to see all of the houses being renovated and the businesses coming along and thriving and all. But I do know many opportunities for the African-American community were lost because the playing field was not what the playing field became. The riots left a city scarred. Almost 300 businesses were looted, vandalized, or set on fire along 14th Street alone, and half of them were total losses. The city and federal government promised a swift recovery, but it never came to pass. Disinvestment, bureaucratic inertia, and an exodus of middle-class residents to the suburbs hobbled the recovery just as it began. Ibrahim Mukman remembers U Street before 1968. You could go to Ben's Chili Bowl, and, and it's true. You, would, you could have a judge there. You could have somebody who was a laborer. You could have somebody who was homeless. And they would all be sitting on the stool. After 68, you didn't have, you didn't have a lot of that. And you had more of a concentration of, of poor people, you know, particularly black people. That's when Mukman became a community activist in the neighborhood. He says there weren't enough resources coming from the government to help rebuild the burned-out corridors, and the private sector was hesitant to take a chance. He remembers trying to sell a banker on all the empty lots in his neighborhood. He said, why should we invest in Shaw when we can invest in Bethesda and Chevy Chase, where you don't have this kind of risk? You know, if something goes south, our project can be on fire. And the longer the recovery was delayed the more people lost faith that it would ever even happen. In the decade after the riots, 100,000 people left Washington for the suburbs around it. One of the people who left was Stanley Mays. He got a law degree in New Jersey and then spent time working on Wall Street. But he eventually decided to move home and bought a house across from his parents just down the street from 14th and U. Pool halls and liquor stores and beauty parlors and a couple of occasional barbershops were all that we had left. And we had been the center of the African-American community for so long prior to the riots. Mays threw himself into neighborhood activism, pushing the D.C. government to do more for the area. And in the mid-1980s, with Marion Barry, himself a former black activist as mayor, it did, building a new municipal building at the corner of 14th and U. The Reeves Center was significant because it meant that a lot of people were here earning consistent wages, and as a result, they um, left money in the community as well as came here to make money. 
Around the same time, construction started on Metro's Green Line, which had been rerouted to serve three of the communities hit hardest by the riots, Shaw, U Street, and Columbia Heights. The, the Metro was designed to help revitalize the neighborhood. But Ibrahim Mukman says Metro's construction also hurt the neighborhood. At one point, all of U Street was shut down for probably about a year. Parts of uh, 7th Street shut down for about a year. What small business person could afford that kind of hit? By the time Metro was done, the bankers and developers who had once ignored Mookman's sales pitch for Shaw were snatching up every building and lot they could find. And that was the last straw for many of the black residents who had stayed in the neighborhood after the riots. If we suffered during the, the lean years, we should benefit when the harvest comes. And the harvest is coming now, but the people who suffered when everybody else was leaving the neighborhood now are not benefiting. Van Shan, can I help you? Stanley Mays now runs a leather repair shop a few blocks away from where he grew up. He says that while he's happy to see the neighborhood alive with activity again, things could have been different had the rebuilding happened earlier. I love the fact that we actually got this done and we achieved it and brought this community back to to some semblance of what it was when I was growing up before the riots. But Mays says he wishes the playing field could have been more level so that more people could enjoy what the neighborhoods have now become. For WAMU, I'm Martin Ostermule. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, April 5th, 2018. So I have been told, just want to pause uh, to recognize the grandsister, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist, longtime resident of Washington, D.C. Man would have really enjoyed hearing her perspective on everything that's gone down. Uh, this past week, I think she may have been in the D.C. area by the time Dr. King was assassinated, but really would have enjoyed hearing her perspective, uh, not just on everything that has transpired this week. And they've been talking a lot about the so-called riots in D.C. after the assassination of Dr. King, but also even... <clears throat> The segment that we just heard, uh, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing certainly was a victim of what they call uh, the unlevel playing field and the gentrification, racial dislocation, white terrorism. She certainly was a victim of all of that. And uh, I think myself and many others <clears throat> uh, believe that that contributed uh, to her transition uh, in 2016. But Definitely, she was on my mind throughout that clip. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Reading is more important than watching television. Black self-respect, more powerful than a nuclear weapon. Now, context of white supremacy. Our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. If we have any listeners who have figured out 
These are the things to do if you are a black entrepreneur so that you never have any of those problems. You can prop your feet up, rake in all of your money. You don't have to worry about white people coming and harassing you and uh, moving in and raising property taxes or making it difficult so that you might not be able to maintain the space for your business or any other locations, your liquor license or whatever else you might need uh, to maintain your thriving enterprise. If you have figured that out, if you have a job where you're working for someone else and you figured out how to do that without being molested sexually or otherwise, you get your vacation days, you get your sick time, you get your personal days. No problem. You have an illness in the family. You have to run home to take care of a child. No problem. You want to transfer to a different location. No problem. Going to be there as long as you want to be there and be there comfortably. If you have figured out how to do that, you get all your raises, promotions, have sterling performance reviews. You need to be the first person to dial in the number 641-715-3640, the code 5649 four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate certainly if you are experiencing any problems challenges on the job and you would like a counter racist perspective uh, the listeners myself would be more than happy to share a thought or two on what you're dealing with Uh, maybe offer some suggestions feel free to dial in the number six four one seven one five three six four zero the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate if you do not want to call in or you're not able to call in if you want to email uh, my email until justice at gmail.com until justice at gmail.com. Drop an email. We can uh, read your commentary on the air. If you have commentary about what's being discussed, or if you have a problem situation that you you know want to share, we can give our thoughts. Feel free. Drop an email until justice at gmail.com. A couple quick things about the two clips that we heard, uh, one in uh, Tacoma, Washington, which is right next to Seattle. They're pretty much pretty much the same area. And then uh, the segment Washington, D.C., both dealing with black entrepreneurs uh, being affected by white supremacy, racism uh, in different ways, uh, what they call gentrification and how that is impacting them negatively for the most part. Uh, I thought. Uh, First and foremost, the segment where the black male was in Tacoma, here where I am, and he was talking about how his uh, family had lost the location before and they had to move, might happen again. He's in this precarious situation with the lease and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Reminded me of Dr. Cambon. He said that they call us disadvantaged. Uh, Because we are lacking information, which puts you at a disadvantage that is consistently uh, victims of white supremacy, black people, even black entrepreneurs. Again, I thought that was really important because so frequently I hear people with a lot of conviction, 
sometimes they'll be really, really loud and aggressive. I'm just saying that the problem, we don't need to talk about workplace racism. Black people just need to go into business for themselves. Be self-employed. Fine. I'm not opposed to that. However, be very, very honest that this doesn't mean that you're not going to have a problem with white supremacy anymore just because you're a black entrepreneur. It's just going to change how you deal with, how you experience white supremacy, racism. Very, very important. Next, the tackiness of the clip, uh, the way that the second segment opened when they were talking about uh, Dr. King, it opened and it said, Dr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. set off four days of rioting in these as though he was an instigator, as though he had a bullhorn and was out telling, yeah, break in that liquor store, set that on fire, throw that Molotov cock. <laughs> he was assassinated. How did he set off the assassin? That's one of the, just the tackiness, the tackiness. They can come out and, and do all these performances, this tacky charade as though they care about Dr. King and his legacy and how he died. And you can't even come out. These are professional journalists. You can't even come out <clears throat> and write on what they say, objective story. The tackiness seeps through even there. It's not the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. set off days of unrest in the nation's capital. Gus T. Renegade right there. Well, I guess I am a freelance journalist, but still Gus T. Renegade right there. Very, very simple. Couldn't even do that. It's still it's got to be Dr. King is a no count looter himself out setting off days of rioting in D.C. I guess he did it from the grave. Two things before we get to the callers. Uh, number one, this is not a broadcast for spectators. Empire is on, I think. Uh, there are sporting activities. You have lots of things to choose from. The weather is getting much nicer, so I know it's still uh, light here for folks on the West Coast. You go outside, do some activities, lots of things to choose from. Sitting here just to be entertained by problems that black people are having on the job, that is not what this is for. If you are a black person listening to this program, I'm pretty sure you have had a job probably might be going to a job in a matter of hours. That means you could probably participate in this broadcast. I'm pretty sure if you're on the line, you have a work history. I'm sure either you can reflect on some things that have happened this very week, if not today. Certainly, you can reflect on your work history to pick out some things that have happened. I think it can be very, very helpful uh, helpful to uh, reflect on some of our own experiences on the job. Sometimes when we were more confused about racism and things that happened, what we would have done differently, said differently. Uh, also, reflect on things that are happening right now to make sure we have an accurate understanding and maybe, you know, even need to refine, update our code a little bit to make sure that we are on our P's and Q's as they say when we are on the job. So really want to emphasize that this is not for spectators participate. And I think it's very helpful. We do have younger people that listen to the program. I think it's helpful for them and others. We're still learning to hear about different ways that whites terrorize us on the job. I think it helps us learn a lot about what it means to be white, what racism is, how it works. One other thing, 
spoke with a listener <clears throat> yesterday and about workplace racism. Happens frequently uh, with folks who do not call in, never call in, or even sometimes people that do call in. Uh, if I speak to them off the air, workplace racism will come up almost immediately. Workplace racism comes up immediately. And I've talked about uh, situations before with uh, people uh, on the job causing you problems. I think retired firefighter last week, I think he spoke uh, with conviction about the need sometimes for us just to uh, speak directly about problems and things that are happening to us on the job. That's going to be important, required sometimes just direct communication about you know what you want to happen or what is happening. This particular situation, a uh, victim of racism, white supremacy had been having uh, consistent problems with a racist on the job. This racist had been <clears throat> just being annoying, uh, finding different ways to waste this person's time and being off task, uh, just a general racist nuisance. Wasting your time. We talked about that before. That's one of the big ways that whites practice racism to get us to waste our time and energy. So this had happened a few times. Uh, this racist had even been reprimanded about this being off task uh, and distracting other employees, uh, uh, reprimanded verbally more than once about this behavior. OK, so the victim of racism has a meeting with a supervisor and they ask specifically about this employee. Uh, what do you think about so-and-so? Now, when this scenario was presented, uh, my interest was piqued because Mr. Edward Williams, in his book on or, or racism, white supremacy, he talks about a situation, a similar situation, where a supervisor asked him, asked for his thoughts about an employee. Uh, the difference was his white supervisor asked about a non-white employee and his response was what problem are we trying to solve he felt it was a situation where uh this suspected racist wanted him to come in and say oh yeah you know she is awful and just the worst employee ever and she comes in late every day and takes you know five hour smoke breaks uh so then he'd be like oh really wow we're gonna fire and then it'll be oh yeah well you know mr williams he said you were terrible so you know we had to let you go <laughs> that type of thing and he didn't want to do that so he just asked what problem are we trying to solve that ended the whole meeting. He never even had to answer the question. This was different. This was about a white person. Man, pfft, I would have, again, I would have went directly to, well, he has been reprimanded more than once for distracting other workers who were attempting to complete their duties, uh, where he was off task and just being kind of annoying uh, and distracting, disturbing our work environment. And that's been a problem for me consistently. He's done that sort of thing. In fact, if you give me a few seconds, I've made some notes here. I've got dates and time. That's the way, bam, that's the way that's supposed to go in my view, according to codification, counter-racist codification for the job. That didn't happen in this situation. Uh, and the victim, in fact, the victim prefaced their commentary by saying, Gus, 
you're going to be so upset with me. And I was thinking, I'm not going to be mad. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it is your job situation. You know, I definitely want to hear people doing great uh, so that folks are doing well and prospering and, you know, having wonderful things happen to you in your career. But I mean, it's, you know, ultimately it's you uh, are the one that's going to be dealing with the situation. So she says, no, she didn't, you know, do what I just, you know, laid out in terms of making sure to start off with this person, this suspected racist. You don't have to call him that, but identifying this person has been uh, reprimanded about his misconduct repeatedly. And he's still uh, engaging in this misbehavior and it's impacting me, you know, to just lay out the things. And then you have dates, documentation to support what you're saying. She didn't have documentation. Uh, she did thankfully emphasize that he had been reprimanded. Uh, about distracting, uh, but she did not have documentation. And guess what the supervisor said? You know, it would be really helpful if you could document when he's coming to distract you and exactly what he's saying. That way we can, you know, have a baseline for how often this is happening and what's going on exactly. I was not angry, but it was certainly not a moment to celebrate on the plantation uh, for someone who uh, listens to the cows and has participated. Uh, I am not. We, I think many other uh, listeners, callers have emphasized how documentation has helped them. And this victim did acknowledge and recognize, man, should have been doing the documentation. Uh, that's not just something that people are just saying. Uh, we talk about getting those voice recorders and what have you. So that can be another form of, of documentation and having evidence for things that happen. Not just saying that to be entertaining, you know, to to compete with Empire for your attention, saying that because I have seen consistently where that can sometimes help you solve problems. Exactly what is in the title for the broadcast that we are archiving, neutralizing workplace racism. Yes, I have seen where just the act of a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen or if you're on your phone or whatever it is. Just the act of taking a few detailed notes, date, time, uh, Adolf over here uh, came and interrupted me at 1125 on April 5th, 2018 and said such and such and such and such. How many times have you watched, uh, you know, whatever the television show is or, you know, whatever stupid comment for the day? You know, this is, you know, the third time this week uh, and you just keep going. That takes a few seconds, you know, maybe a minute if you're slow, if you're on your phone, it takes maybe one minute. We're just talking a couple sentences that can be huge. Uh, in fact, this person felt like, woo, maybe if I had had documentation, maybe I could have helped get this white man fired. Documentation, just write it down, <laughs> get it. And it doesn't have to be everything. We're just talking about things that are important, things particularly anytime something is causing you a problem, that is for sure cause for documentation. Extraordinarily important and just another reminder of what I've said and why I've been asking more recently, what are some of the things that stop us from implementing workplace codification, the way that we understand racism, white supremacy, Apply that on the job to solve problems. What is stopping some of us from doing that? Because it seemed, this person seemed to know already, man, I should have been documenting. Why not do that? 
Uh, and I, we've talked about this before. I think that's something we should all seriously be thinking about, looking at what are some of the things that stop me from doing this? And then how can I work on, you know, eroding some of these behaviors so that I can go ahead and apply my counter racist codification? Very important. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. With that, uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Feel free to chime in. May I be heard? I heard both of you. We will start with Red in Nevada. Hello. um, Thank you for taking my call, and hello to everyone. Um, I guess I'll make my commentary pretty short this week. Um, I kind of felt bad, like, halfway through the week because I started to question myself about me kind of getting angry or somewhat angry about the the white woman who keeps saying my name wrong. I have been trying to um, basically ignore her, uh, not even respond to when she says good morning or anything like that. But I, I felt bad because I started to question, like, maybe I'm, I'm making too much of this. Maybe like, you know, she's not really, I don't know, just, just losing my mind, I guess. But I, I, I feel like I've kind of regained, my um, sanity and realize, you know, this woman is just practicing racism. It's nothing that I'm doing wrong. It's definitely something that she's doing wrong. But I did make sure um, recently uh, to tell a non-white person, um, because non-white person was kind of shortening my name too, and I didn't really have a problem with it, but I was was starting to think about how um, other white people around, if they were to hear that same thing, to not be able to try to, you know, make a note of it. Well, oh, well, she lets this non-white person call her whatever, but I can't call her or she's been very rude to me or something like that. Who knows what these suspected racists will um, make up. Um, uh, one thing uh, one thing that actually happened today, I don't know if it's a delectable Negro moment or, uh, or not, but um, there was a, we really didn't have to do too much work today. And um, so I was reading, and then at one point in time, I was kind of like reapplying some of my lip gloss or makeup or whatever, and the I didn't notice my supervisor, which is a white woman. I guess apparently I had to ask her um, for some help, and she had um, she had finally told me she was like, you know, I'm sorry, but I keep staring at your lips because they look so like I really love that color, and I usually don't wear lipstick, but I don't want you to think that I'm weird or anything. And I just was thinking about the book. And I guess actually the last thing I'll comment on is um, another white woman, she was actually uh, helping my training, the the training class that I was in, um, like helping us with any questions that we had. And I was actually having some computer issues. And I had to call um, this IT support. And I was trying to explain some of the issues. And it sounded like a white man on the line who was supposed to be helping me. And he was just kind of disregarding what I was saying. And the white woman, luck, I was, luckily, I guess, 
a white woman who was helping out the little group or whatever that I'm involved in or whatever, she was standing nearby me. She kind of hear the conversation, at least my side. And so she was like, well, you know, let me get on the phone and let me tell him because this really needs to be taken care of for you. And the white man was able to, the white man actually listened to her and um, decided to actually help me with the problem. But I felt like um, not only, I don't know if, of course, you know, if he could tell that she was white probably, but also just really recognizing the type of words that she was using. I wasn't using the same type of um, words like making it seem like this was really uh, an urgent issue, and that's something that she was doing. So um, I, I guess I, at least I picked up that um, from what she was doing to get the, the issue corrected, and this was an issue I've been having for weeks. Uh, but I will, um, I'll, I'll leave it there, and thank you for allowing me to share. I'll meet my line probably could tell that she was white uh, and we talk or I talk about being serious on the program all the time I think that's something I try to uh, keep in the forefront of my mind when talking to white people is uh, to always be speaking talking and conveying a sense of seriousness urgency when speaking with whites. Uh, but my quick question was going to be with regards to the, uh, I guess, lip gloss. Did that incident make you question any aspect of your code? Like, hmm, should I wear this lip gloss at work anymore? <laughs> should I apply this at work anymore? Did it make you examine any aspect of your code or no? It definitely did. I feel like I'll probably never wear that color again. If I do, I'll wear some very, very neutral, but um, it, it was kind of weird, but she, she kind of seems, I don't know, but then, you know, it definitely made me question that, but I'll, I'll meet my line. Thank you. Delectable Negro. Definitely. Vincent Woodard, the delectable Negro, uh, U.S. Wait a minute. Homoeroticism and human consumption in U.S. slave culture. There we go. Full title. We did read Vincent Woodard's The Delectable Negro in the Book Club 2017. Uh, I do the the first portion of what you were talking about, though. I do think that's very, very important. That's uh, another point that we talked about before because it's so important uh, in terms of when we get to the point of questioning ourselves about situations, whether we're bothered about being mistreated on the job. I mean, that's human. You know, if you, you know, should get upset at some point about being mistreated, uh, someone in my view, uh, this, uh, race soldier deliberately disrespecting you deliberately not calling you by your correct name. I mean, unless she has some sort of mental issue. And I mean, even then like, man, I have to tell you my name every day. Come on. That's race soldier practicing racist, but regardless if it's a name or anything, we they will encourage us to question ourselves. That same thing is in the tacky book that we're reading tomorrow, uh, The Hate You Give, where they have the main character questioning. No, it wasn't racist. They were just talking about fried chicken and being funny in what they said. Or no, maybe she's not deliberately messing up my name. Maybe she just has some sort of problem. Or why, you know, why am I even getting upset about it? Just whatever it is, they'll have ways where we end up questioning ourselves and not just being able to say, hey, this person is practicing racism and that's that. <laughs> and just moving forward about it 
And, you know, I'm going to try my best and just how I deal with it, but just not even spending a whole lot of time thinking about it. Like they, that happens to a lot uh, of non-white people. And I think it's just helpful to know that that happens to a lot of us uh, where, you know, we end up questioning ourselves or kind of overthinking situations where it's as simple as birds chirp, dogs bark, and white people practice racism. Uh, the male caller who spoke up simultaneously. Thank you for yielding the floor. Did you have commentary, sir? Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I'll just say uh, to uh, the first caller, uh, that white woman uh, knows exactly on what she's doing. She's doing it on purpose. Uh, from my uh, experiences, uh, white people, uh, and uh, white women in particular uh, have a habit of of uh, also uh, using words like sweetie and honey and baby uh, in the workplace when they're addressing customers. And uh, so it's not unusual uh, from the standpoint of purposely uh, not pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, I, uh, from my experiences and what I've observed, uh, she is actually doing that on purpose because she knows two things, that you're not going to say anything to it definitively, and uh, it's something fun for her to do, to agitate you. Uh, that's their way of, of, of doing things. Uh, moving on, uh, I uh I uh, uh messaged uh you Gus uh you probably got uh, got it I don't know if you did or not about the uh, MLK uh documentary uh pretty good documentary but anyway uh the the, the uh city of Memphis I I would assume uh sanitation workers uh the strike that uh Dr. King uh went on uh just at the spur of the moment and joined a a march like you said. I I I actually heard that I think it was the governor of the state of Tennessee commented to get things going negatively for Dr. King, uh, as you mentioned, uh, which he had nothing to do with it at all. Uh, basically saying that he he basically led this march, led this march, and when it turned violent, he turned and ran. You know, this sort of thing, you know, uh, just to, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure even during that time, although the technology wasn't the same, of course, it wasn't sophisticated as the day, was doing what he could to uh, uh, kind of ruin uh, uh, Dr. King's reputation. Rep yeah, reputation at the time. Uh, uh, I also wanted to uh, comment on the CDC official, blackmail. Uh, as people may know, they found his body. He went missing, uh, and they, they found his body, uh, in a lake somewhere. Uh, and, uh, I, I don't know if it was Georgia or not. I know the CDC is in Atlanta, uh, in Georgia. I'm not sure on where it was. Uh, uh, it, it was national news for about the past, mm, past, three weeks of him missing, being missing. Uh, the reason why I brought it up, other than, you know, uh, 
you know, his, he had a high position with CDC, but they also stated the day I heard, at least I heard for the first time, that he was was upset because he was passed over for a position. Now, that may end up being a reason for uh, his demise. Uh, and the reason why I mention that is is because this is one of the main uh, effects, negative effects that is imposed upon non-white people in the workplace where they get passed over and uh, uh, for for jobs uh, with the fire department they had a very slick way of doing it uh, you would you, uh, also I would say police departments also because they had, basically have the same type of testing uh, situation for promotion whereas you would score high on the test let's say you would score in the top five or something like that and they would basically just let your 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 uh situation uh die on the vine quote unquote uh uh go past the deadline of uh the uh the, the test uh and uh you have to you know put all that energy back into it again to take the test again uh and uh it's very frustrating on it there is a uh, black female who has been uh, on the fire department now for about, uh, I would say Miss Davis has been on the fire department now for about all, close to 25 years. And she has uh, certainly have graded out well and high enough to be a chief. And uh, she's been passed over several times, uh, well, at least, one time that I know the words, I think she she uh, have imposed a lawsuit, which you know most cases I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on uh, something being successful out of that because they can wait you out. But uh, yeah, uh, that is that's and it, it causes it, it ends up being when you put all that time and energy towards uh, uh, try, attempting to move through the process of getting promoted and the job itself just tells you in such a uh, uh, laissez-faire, mundane way, well, you just didn't make it, you know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. You know you have, you've actually applied yourself and have uh, actually did well enough. It can be very frustrating. Uh, that's why, you know, the different things that I've heard on this program to kind of like offset that, including yoga, uh, is something that is, is is very necessary in this program is very it just gives more uh reinforcement on how important programs like this is uh uh that uh non white people need to be having uh, uh workplace racism uh program meetings if if uh, you know if that's necessary you know as far as they're concerned because it's very important and that's all I have to say for right now thank you appreciate that retired firefighter the uh king documentary is into the wilderness hbo documentary uh you can catch it i'm sure on hbo i'm sure it'll be widely available online and netflix and all those places and uh the cdc employee i had seen that he was missing i didn't see the update that was just from today uh the information about uh, him being found more recently uh in dead deceased in the river uh, his name is timothy cunningham timothy cunningham and uh yeah, they're at least for right now saying that he was a drowning suspect.
Hmm. Uh, other folks that we have not heard. Have you heard? Tom, greetings, Thomas in New York. Greetings, Gosh. Um, good evening to Firefighter. Good evening to Red. Um, and all the rest of the callers. Yeah, the um, when I was uh, first started working in the city, you know, I was still living in Jersey. I started working at a huge accounting firm on one of the big four, and my boss um, was a black man, and um, I got the job because um, my wife's, I mean, my my um, aunt's husband um, used to work at the same place until he became a, a so-called police officer, and um, he kind of. Um, you know, hooked me up with the guy. So this guy was a good guy. Um, you know, six-figure job, um, managing the mill room. I was working in the mill room. And um, he even had a stutter. Um, but he was a good guy. You know, I love to talk about basketball. That was a thing. But either way, um, I found out, and this relates to what the firefighter was just talking about, that his wife used to work for the firm. So as, um, you know, I worked there for four years. I mean, it might have took three years for me to get the whole story. But either way, his wife sued that company. Um, and I, I don't work there anymore. It was Deloitte. And um, she won about $3 million for being passed over. Um, she, she trained over 150 partners and still wasn't a senior manager. But she, was, she trained them, you know, and they were all, of course, white or probably Asian. So I just thought that that related to what he was just saying. Um, I had an interesting occurrence um, the other morning going to work. I'm on the train. And, um, you know, as the train's going downtown, passes, you know, 125th Street, around 116th Street, um, this guy gets on the train. And um, I could obviously see that he's... Um, you know, on, you know, on heavily, he's doped up. So, um, you know, as time goes on the train, the next stop, the train gets a little more crowded. And then it um, goes through the tunnel, um, you know, a long tunnel, and you end up on 96th Street where all the white people get on the train. So, of course, all the black people have seats because we get on from Harlem and it comes downtown. So either way, um, this guy has to come stand in front of me. So, you know, I could smell it coming out his pores. Um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I have family members. So, either way, um, so this um, this white lady gets on the train. And she says, um, she doesn't say anything to me. I have my headphones on. I'm listening to the radio. But she's looking at him, like, just standing there. And, um... I could, so I look at him too, see, you know, and I could see that he was, um, you know, pretty much lean. So then she taps him on the shoulder and she says, um, why don't you give your seat up for him? Now, this is a black man, but it was just the fact that it was this white lady who did it. I was just ignores her. But, you know, I kind of felt bad afterwards, you know, but at the same time, you know, I've never seen one fall. But either way, I just felt that that was interesting, you know. So being that it was this white lady laughing, I was like, ignoring her, you know what I'm saying? But um, at work, you know, I realized I was on the train again, coming home the other day, and I realized that 
Every day I go to work, I have to act for eight to ten to twelve hours non-threatening around these white people and, um, you know, be overly courteous and you know, overly respectful to make them feel comfortable being that I am a big black male, being that I'm not a professional, you know, I'm, you know, I just, you know, I'm not, you know, the most needed person there. I'm not making the money, you know, I'm doing the work. So either way, it just, you know, pissed me off. You know, I just thought about that. Um, so back to the, the job, the lady who's been terrorizing me. Man, today, go to work. And um, usually in the morning, I have to pick up the mail from the elevator and um, bring it, you know, to my little office and um, sort it out and deliver it, especially, you know, this is tax season, the busy time. And when I got there, it was four bins of mail. I'm usually there. I usually get a bin. So I'm like, man, why they got all this mail here? So, you know, I had to take four trips to get it into the, my little office. And I realized that three of the bins don't even belong to the company I work for. Only one of them. And then, you know, so I said, shucks. So um, I go to the guy whose place I took, um, who, you know, has a higher position. And I asked him, like, yo, well, you know, what, what, what should I do? So he says, oh, that happened once before. Um, you have to call the courier service that drops the mail off in the morning um, to come get the mail. So I said, okay, well, do you have the number? So he says, no, you have to wait for the, this other lady to come in, um, the lady who's in charge of human resources, who um, is, has been very nice to me. Um, a white lady as well. But this one that's always in someone's business, she, when I go back to my office, she's looking through these bins of mail. I just probably see why I haven't delivered it or, or whatever. And um, she's like, why is all this mail here? But she's really nasty. So I said, well, this, is, this isn't our mail. She says, I can see that. I said, well, they made a mistake and delivered it. And um, I just found out from Edwin. I don't care what Edwin told you. Right now, you call the post office and tell them to come get this. So I said, but, I, so she says, I, I don't want to hear anything other than you called the post office. And she walks away. So I said, man. So I know that that's not the procedure. The procedure is this courier service that they're using, you know, they pick it up from the post office and drop it off. It's not the post office who dropped it off. You know, this could potentially cause a problem, you know. So um, I go back to the guy. He says, oh, man, now she's involved. He said, man, but whatever she did tells you to do, just do it. But that's not how it works. But if you don't want to tell her you didn't do it. So I said, all right. So I did it. And, of course, you know, you can't get through to the post office. But uh, they said they'll call back in an hour and, you know, whatever. But either way, finally, I get in touch with this lady. And she tells me, oh, she's going to call the courier company. You know, she'll handle it from there on. So I'm thinking it's over from there. But then this lady comes back and I'm over. Why is this mail still here? I said, oh, Mary, I don't care. what She doesn't even let you talk. And it's so annoying. And I just want to say you know, something to her. But you got to be very respectful and take it and, you know, absorb it and then kind of smooth it out. So either way, I just said, listen, I called the post office. They're coming to pick it up. Oh, oh, you listen to me. See, when you listen to me, everything works well. And she walks out the office. I said, you know. Now, I didn't, you know, they're not even coming, but what does she know? But it's just the, man. But either way, 
um, this lady, like I said, she annoys me uh, when I'm cutting this fruit. Um, I have the fruit in the colander, rinsing it off, and she'll just dump her coffee right on the. I mean, it's just so disrespectful. Every time I'm, every time I'm somewhere, she's right behind me, and it's not like she's, you know, she's acting like she's doing something else. But I could tell. I just have a feeling that she's, she's watching me, and, and but at the same time, being very nice, mostly very nice, and you know, you're such a nice guy, but. It's just always in. And I asked the receptionist, who's also black, and she says um, she does the same thing to me. So, you know, you just got to learn how to, you know, you just got to take it. And um, the few of the Spanish, um, the, the, the Latin, the black, you know, people who speak Spanish, but they look black, they said the same thing. Um, now, they hired this um, black man. He has um, long locks. And, um, you know, I had, you know, been seen him um he's a young brother but i've been kind of reluctant to go out of my way to be overly you know try to be talking to him because i don't want the white people who i avoid to feel like i'm you know just trying to talk to the black guy now that they have another black guy in the office but um um, the other day he came into my office to make some copies so we got to talking so um you know now you know he's kind of saying that um, he, everything's going well for him. They're being overly nice to him. So he's, you know, saying the same things, and I just kept it at that. But um, I, I feel like, um, you know, it's another thing that I feel like I have to act. Like, I would love to say, yo, what's up, bro? How's it going today? But, you know, of course, you know, in this environment, I feel like that could be taken some kind of way. Um, you know, it's, so I'll mute my line. Thank you. White girls... Do it better. Uh, I think that's uh, a twofer with the white woman with the male situation and then the white woman with the fruit situation. Uh, And uh, I think (laughs) it reminded me of Jane Elliott, no less. uh, White supremacist, admitted white supremacist Jane Elliott. Blue eyes, brown eyes, exercise, multiple time guest on the cows. Uh, But the first time she was here, she did not like my use of the term non-white. And at one point she said, uh, don't listen to, uh, it was don't listen to, to Papa on the plantation, you know, listen to, listen to mama, uh, on the plantation. And that, that is exactly what it sounds like. You know, when you listen to me, things work out well. The white woman, the voice of white girls, do it better and it's tons of whites that is exactly how they function on the job and at least in my view the thing that's real important there is that he said that this with the uh, the male scenario that this person was giving out incorrect information uh, i think thomas in new york said that there's a code okay the folks who deliver these packages incorrectly there's a code about how you address that to get these packages picked up and delivered, not just do whatever this white woman says. And, you know, that's going to be it. Like, and understanding that, understanding that on the job that, you know, in some situations, these racists, uh, they'll be coming around and you're going to do what I say. Remember, I think the same type of thing uh, with the fruit, uh, them coming in and fussing about that same thing. Like this problem could be easily solved. All we need to do, go and talk to the person who gives out the funds 
Don't give that nigra $60 anymore. Give that nigra $30. Now we won't have as much fruit. Easy. They just enjoy that this is a part of being a racist. I can just find any random nigra and just go around and whatever I want. If I want to go and play with his genitals today, I'll go play with his genitals. If I want to go and mispronounce their name all day, I'll go mispronounce their name. If I want to go sling my coffee on their fruit or on them or both, you know, hey, that's what I do. I'm a racist. I might even do it with a smile. Not calling you names, not calling you nigger to your face or where you can hear me. But hey, I'm still practicing racism, white supremacy. And that's why we have the program. Uh, try as best we can to neutral. I think with the coffee situation, particularly if that's something where the habitual uh, terrorism, uh, and that's what I call that, to just come and sling coffee. Uh, just total disregard for the fruit. Everybody there that's consuming the fruit, you using the sink, trying to get work done. Uh, I would even ask beforehand, do you need to use the sink uh, for anything? I was going to try and get my fruit. Do you need to use the, the sink or the kitchen area for anything? Just to ask up front. Now, she might still do it anyway, uh, just, you know, being a racist. Uh, but that might be one way uh, to deal with that. Uh, the other situations uh, that it sounds like you, you handled the male situation as best as you possibly could just to get her to desist from the nagging and being racist and get her to just shoo away at least for the day. But uh, it's tons of us. We have to go through that all day long. And that's Dr. Welsing talked about that all the time as well. Just being terrorized and then feeling that you have to appease your terrorists and smile and laugh at their jokes and just endure uh, just tons of nonsense. Sometimes for people who are not even telling you correct information. System of white supremacy. Uh, other folks, uh, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate, uh, share the broadcast. Uh, if you have social media, if you use social media, if you still have a Facebook account or Instagram or Twitter, or any of the others, share the broadcast. If you think non-white people, black people especially, would benefit from the content. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, if you have... Can I... Uh... Have you heard? Yes, sir. Um... Thank you for taking my call. We saw the guests and callers. Um, a bit of an update. I've, I haven't called in in maybe like a year and a half or something like that. I forget exactly how long. But um, to speed you guys up, I don't know if you guys, if anyone remembers, but um, I was um, working at a, at a warehouse facility. Well, I don't, I don't work there anymore, so I guess it doesn't matter. I used to work at Costco. And um, I was having, I was being terrorized on the job by my uh, white female boss and um, some white male managers. Um, that was also around the time where the whole Leno Castile thing was going on and out in Sterling. And I was losing my, my, my mental health was taking a dive and I was uh, contemplating suicide and I ended up having therapy. And so that, that, that's, that's the gist of that. I don't think anybody um, remembers, but um, I've been taking therapy for that. And, Mixed results, I kind of stopped going because it's still kind of hard to believe that racism is a problem that can be solved. But I'm recently back in therapy because I recently had a child. So trying to get my mental health back in order to, to continue on the path. But um, 
I'll be brief. That was my intro to remind you guys who I am. But um, so I'm a substitute teacher currently, and um, it's kind of an interesting job because when I sub, I can go to different schools in the district, so I can sort of get a feel for how each environment is is, is different. And um, I was subbing in Detroit for a while, on and off since last year. And um, many problems with the school system in Detroit, just a lot of schools that are now charter schools and sometimes they're underfunded and um, sometimes they have underqualified staff and such and such. And the kids are, everyone's a victim of racism. The resources are, you know, not enough and just bad situation all around. And um, with my mental health, it was really hard seeing black people, you know, just time wasted. The whole day would be just getting the kids to just be in their chair and to not, you know, horse play or there was like no learning in the classes that I was studying in. Now that's just a snapshot because I don't, I didn't work there full time. It was just a snapshot of each day that I was there. So there were, there was order and teachers that were passionate and taught many of the pupils, you know, constructive time was used, but just a lot of time was not constructive when I was there. So in order for my mental health, I ended up um, subbing in my city. I drive, I used to drive 30 minutes to, to just to be around black people, but then my mental health forced me to, to, to not have to be around black people because I didn't, it was just tough knowing that, you know, that systematic racism is why Detroit public schools, you know, where they were, they, you know, are the way they are. So I ended up living in, um, I live in Ann Arbor, so pretty white around here. So I, I started subbing in, in this area and um, totally different story, you know, resources, money, wealth, all that stuff, you know, that follows white people. And um, so I was subbing at a school a couple weeks ago. It was uh, for a physics class and it was a white male who was um, a teacher's aide. And I don't know anything about physics, so he was teaching the class, but I was, but they had to have a sub, so I was just pretty much sitting there all day, just riding past it to the bathroom or telling the kids to be quiet while he taught the, the actual class. Um, a fight broke out in the middle of class. Um, I was, you know, looking at my phone or looking down or whatever. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, next thing I know, two um, young black males, um, you know, started fighting in class and the uh, incident went from inside the classroom into the hallway. The white male teacher looked up at me and said, I mean, the white male teacher they said, you want to get that? And I'm like, sure, I guess. I don't really know um, a fight until I really got into the hallway because I didn't really see what, what happened in the classroom. I only saw what happened in the hallway. Um, I witnessed one young black male grab the other black male and push him from the classroom through the door to the lockers and he pushed them against the lockers and they were using profanity against one another. So that's what I saw from my view at the teacher's desk. So I leave the classroom to go in front of the hall to break up the fight. And um, it felt like forever, but it was only about two minutes. Two minutes is actually kind of a long time in a fight. I mean, if you've ever been in a fight, two minutes is kind of a long time. Um, so I was trying to break up the fight. The, the white male teacher aide, the only other adult in the area was nowhere to be found. He just <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. Like they were, and I'm 
I'm like five six, five seven, like a buck twenty, buck twenty five. I'm not a very big guy. And these young men are like, you know, they're seventeen. I'm like, I'm twenty nine, and they're like half my age, <laughs> and they're like on the football team. At least one of them was, and so I don't have much mass on my body to to break up the fight. Um, I'm just sort of pleading for another adult to come and help because I can manage pushing one of them away, but not both of them. Um, they're headlocking, trying to throw punches. I'm trying not to get hit. My, I'm preserving my health, my, 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 my safety first, you know, while I try to help these two students break up the fight. Other students, you know, they're just got their cell phones out. They're watching. Sort of, some are instigating, some are just watching. Um, I managed to uh, break up the fight for one second. Um, I take one young black male across the hall. The other one, you know, walks the other way. And uh, in the meantime, while I'm doing that, uh, the white male security guard is, like, walking up the hall, like, He's walking towards the commotion, but I swear he's like walking like the six million dollar man. He's walking like in slow motion while I'm trying. Like I'm like, will you please go get this other dude down the hall because I'm there's two young men. I had one, there's the other one, and he could have came back. And so I don't know what he's doing, but I have to turn my attention back to the to the young man. I'm just trying to calm him down, saying you don't want to do this, man. He doesn't want to. You don't want to fight. Blah blah blah. The other young man uh, came back around the corner for round two. And the security guard is still halfway down the hall. And so <laughs> no one's felt it. Uh, and the school is um, it's a, it's a mixture. I'll, I'll say it's like maybe 25% black, 70, 75% white, and maybe, maybe 74% white and 1% Asian and other, you know, Arabic, Asian, and Hispanic, if you want to go there for the demographics. And, uh, um, so no help. And then finally, uh, another white man, uh, white male, uh, tall monitor comes around the corner from the opposite direction. And he's like, what's going on? It's like, yep, stop the fight. And then, so now we're both trying to pry the two kids who are now back at each other's throats from, um, from, from fighting. And so we finally, with the two of us help in the fight. And, uh, um, uh, a young white male was recording the fight with his cell phone. And after the fight had broken up, I saw him showing the recording to other students. And I'm thinking, like, this is going to cause further issues down the line if this gets on social media. And this can, it's, it can escalate a million times more if he posts this all online. So I followed him to try to get a cell phone from him. But I'm not going to snatch a cell phone from a teenager. I'm a sub. Subs in general are kind of human pinatas don't really have the respect because you're not a real teacher and then you're sort of a babysitter for the most part, unless you're educated on the subject that you're subbing for, then you can talk intelligently and teach, you know, a qualified subject to someone. But so anyways, I followed this kid for like 15 minutes trying to talk him, talk him into uh, giving me his phone and uh, come get me to the office. Uh, he doesn't do it. Uh, the same white male who helped me break up the fight, I see him again in the hallway, tell him, he takes the white man, white, get the white teenager's phone and him to the office. I'm like, cool, I'm finally done. I go back to the classroom, and the white male, who was a teacher aide, who didn't help me in the first place, was like, so what was going on? And I was like, I told him about the fight, and then I'm just like, I wanted to ask him, so why didn't you come out and help? But I didn't. I just sat kind of like, whatever. Um, and he's just like, I don't know what I was doing. I just, I didn't know that it was 
that bad. I looked out in the hall and then I just kind of walked back in. I didn't know what to do, kind of, is what he said. Um, but that, that was that incident. I have three more. Um, I'll, be, I'll be pretty brief. Um, uh, uh, so I was at work the other night at another job. I have three jobs currently trying to pay for my newborn child. Um, I was at um, job number three, which is usually like a night, midnight kind of shift at a, at a, at a gym. I'm a, I, um, uh, I'm a part-time janitor there. And um, so I was on break from there. I uh, left the gym to go to a pizza place that's in downtown Ann Arbor. And um, um, while I'm walking in, I see a young white woman um, dragging a trash can, a trash bag to an alley. She looked like she worked at the pizza place. I wasn't sure. But I walked in, waited in line. The same white lady walked into the store and walked down the counter. And it was my turn in line by the time she got back to the counter. So she helped me. Um, I noticed she didn't wash her hands, but she grabbed my pizza with a spatula. So I guess it was okay. She puts it on the plate and she puts it into the oven. It's still a giant pizza by the slice. Um, uh, so she's going to help other customers while my pizza's in the oven. And a, a middle-aged white male uh, asked me if I've been help. I said, yeah. She, the, the young white lady says, his pizza's in the oven. It's about ready. Could you take it out and ring him up? So he does that. Um, he goes to uh, pull down the oven door, put the pizza on the plate, and he uh, reaches in there with a spatula, but he, like, nudges one slice with his fingers into further into the plate. And he does it with the second slice. Now, I've, I've been watching him put his hands on all these other white college kids' pizzas for, like, you know, minutes while the line. I saw him just grabbing slices. I'm like, who's my mind? Looking at dirty hands, touching on these slices, but they weren't my slices, so I, I didn't say nothing. But when he did my slice, I said, uh, you, "You didn't have gloves on. I didn't see you wash your hands. Could you please grab me another slice?" And then he flips out. He's like eyes bulged and he gets upset and he starts yelling in front of everyone, the employees, the other customers. And he says, "My hands are not dirty. You're lying on me. I did not touch your pizza." And I said, "So you touched my pizza?" And he said, "You're lying on me. I did not touch your pizza." And then he's yelling and going on and on and on. And I'm like. So would you please just get me another pizza? You're looking really bad in front of your other customers. That's when he, I just went on a break. That's when I got out of here. And he's like, I did not touch your pizza. And he like just leaves my slices where they are on the counter, and he doesn't serve. He just ignores me and helps the, the, the white couple next to me. And the, the young white woman who helped me first, she sort of wandered around for a few minutes helping other people, and then I was still there kind of standing there, and she said, you need anything else? I was like, yeah, I still want my pizza. And she got two new slices for me and rang me up, and I was out the door. Um, another one, flashback, when I was in middle school, um, that was my job, so I hope it qualifies. Being a student was my job at the time, so it was flashback. Um, I used to hang out with um, a bunch of neighborhood kids, some white kids, some Asian kids, and we were one of the few black people in the neighborhood. Um, we saw sleep over each other's houses, play video games, order pizzas, uh, general mischief in the neighborhood. We all were friends hanging out. We all also use racial jokes to make fun of each other. And um, one of the jokes that they would say about me and my brother, we would all play video games together. Me and my brother was obsessed with PlayStation, the PS2. And um, everyone else generally liked the Xbox. And um, they kept making fun of us for liking PlayStation. If, you, if anyone ever played a PlayStation 2, if you hold the controller, you would notice that the buttons have like um, letters and shapes on there. And they were making fun of us saying that, Black people like PlayStation 2 because they can't read. 
and they, they can only acknowledge or observe shapes and a few letters. So that's why the black people have the cognitive ability to play PlayStation because, you know, there's not A, B, C, D on the controller. It's, it's a circle, a triangle, and a, a square. So, you know, you're, you're smart enough to play that one because of that. We would also engage in jokes too, um, making fun of my Asian friends at the time for Asian characteristics, Jewish friends for Jewish characteristics. Um, that's before I knew Jewish, Jewish people could be classified as white. And at one time, they took it too far. They made fun of slavery. And um, I've been prone to being very emotional about race ever since the seventh grade when I first found out I was black for the movie Rosewood. But the massacre in Florida where hundreds of black people were, were uh, slaughtered and dislocated over a white woman's lie, saying she was raped by a black male. Anyways, so I've been really sensitive about race ever since I was about 12 or 13. And uh, they, made, they made fun of slavery. And I, like, lost it. I started to cry. And I said, I can't believe you made fun of my ancestors suffering for 400 years of slavery. And um, while I was crying, like blubbering crying, um, the uh, Asian male in the group said, um, um, they, they started all laughing, saying 4,000 years of slavery. And they, they were just exaggerating on the number. I said 400 years of slavery. And they made fun of the number. They said 4,000 years and 4 million years. And they were just all laughing. Except one Asian male who later, years later, I saw and he said, I'm sorry about that. That was really bad. That was really messed up. And my last one, um, I'm starting a new job in a couple, in, at the end of this month, and I plan on fixing some mistakes that I had at the warehouse job that I told you about at the beginning of my call. I'm, I'm going to practice my codification on um, not being so buddy-buddy with white people and just stop talking about my personal life. Um, and I'm going to stop talking about racism on the job because that's what led to a lot of issues for me. Um, and I'm going to show up on time because I had a lot of issues with tardiness. And I still do have some issues with tardiness. And uh, that'll be all. I'll mute my line. Sorry for being so winded. Um, I'll mute my line. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Congratulations on the new child. I uh, hope you all have a spectacular plan to raise that child with lots of black self-respect and counter-racist logic and codification. Uh, just to, uh, emphasize, I said before, the problem of white supremacy racism can be solved. I think you did say that when you were talking about uh, some of your mental health issues, just saying that it's hard to believe sometimes that racism is a problem that can be solved. This problem can be solved. Whites would not have assassinated Dr. King if they didn't think this problem could be solved. It would have just been, oh, well, let's let's have some more fun with that nigger. We can do this for another 30, 40 years. Have him stomping around and marching. We can sick dogs on him and fire hoses and have a grand old time. If they didn't think one of the niggers, Dr. King, one of them, Winnie Mandela, one of them might eventually come along and have the logic to solve this problem. They would not do all of the surveillance and Pro and all of the other tactics that they engage in to terrorize us. This problem can be solved. That's it. Uh, I do think uh, for just for the next job in terms of codification, 
great, outstanding. You can start fresh and practice your codification. I would just say, I think you did, or the way you phrased it was not going to be so buddy-buddy with whites. I would just, I'm going to be codified in how I relate to whites. Words are important. That's the way that I would process it uh, in my mind. That's the way that I would say it. Not, I'm not going to be chummy or so chummy or so friendly. I'm going to be codified in how I relate to whites suspected racists on the job and again that doesn't that's not saying that you're aloof that's not saying that you never speak to anybody but being codified in what i say how i say it the same way that you're thinking about solving problems now that's the way that you go into the situation the meal situation and i know that can be tough i guess that is an aspect of uh, the workplace environment that we haven't discussed, because I know a lot of folks, lunch can be a problem. I know for me, sometimes it used to be even challenging to get the lunch break. Sometimes they would decide that you can't get a lunch break or it would just be a lot of chaos getting called back during, uh, getting called back early from a lunch break. But the lunch situation uh, where you left and went to get pizza and all of that, like, man, we talked about that so many times with uh, racism with regards to black people eating out, black self-respect. Uh, in my view, the trash situation would have been uh, enough to be like, I don't think I should eat here. Uh, if you all are taking out the trash and coming back and not washing uh, your hands, which is mandatory, I think. I think they have those little signs up and such in a lot of uh, restaurants that say that, you know, mandatory that you wash your employees, wash their hands after they went to the bathroom or taking the trash out or something like that. Uh, and then this guy comes behind and same thing is touching the slices, not wearing gloves and and all of that. Like, I don't know. Like, I, in my view, it should not be there should not be any hostility around something that is supposed to be nourishing for my body. Uh, it shouldn't be a brawl. I think our guest on the program on Tuesday, I think she said, uh, if white hands uh, prepare this food, I'm not going to eat it. That just that whole situation just I don't I don't know how nourishing that pizza was for you. But all of that would have, you know, really changed my view. And like I said, with the workplace situation, because it's not like you got infinite time to just, you know, go figure out a different plan for what you want to eat or go prepare a meal. You might have limited time uh, before you have to be back on the job. So that can be a whole different aspect uh, of workplace racism, what you have to deal with. Um, wow, the, so much uh, so much to share. I guess with the... Yes, sir. Go ahead, Thomas, in New York. Um, yes. Yes. Um, first thing, you know, my mother was a school teacher for 35 years. My grandmother was a teacher for about 30 years. Um, teacher is not supposed to break up a fight. Not supposed to happen. Don't ever do it again. You call security. You know, not your job, not your responsibility. Um, and I understand, you know, that type of environment because unfortunately my last job, it was like that every night. Um, fights and, you know, I was in the hospital and it was, it was just, you know, a lot of fights, um, stuff going on. But, um, this is um, what Gus just said, just as a codification. If you go into any white-owned establishment and they're practicing racism, you don't spend your money. This is your area one economics is an area they dominate us in. Um, I mean, it's, it's such a 
disparity that, you know, and we just keep giving them our money. We can't do it when they practice racism right in front of our face. Um, just the fact that you stood there and waited for the pizza, I just think from now on, you know, you just walk right out um, because, you know, they still got your money and they humiliated you. So they got the double whammy on you, um, you know, and you never give them that double whammy. When you show, like I said, that self-respect. Um, and I wish you well on your new endeavor. Absolutely. Uh, uh, echo Thank the, you. the sentiments, wishing you well uh, with the new job. And, and just with the teacher situation, that's another one, I think, uh, in terms of not being surprised uh, with the white teacher aide not coming to your assistance. And then uh, I guess it was the white security officer. Uh, imagine that if this was a, <clears throat> I don't know if this was a resource officer or just uh, another personnel, uh, white personnel uh, to come to help with the fight eventually, but him lollygagging and taking his time. Now imagine if that had been uh, a white teacher uh, or even a white, you know, teacher aide, uh, or a white woman, since that's the bulk of the teaching force uh, in the U.S. Imagine if that had been a white female teacher out there struggling with two black students trying to break up a fight and think he's just going, oh, la-di-da. Mm, yes, beautiful day. Get to the fight. <laughs> I mean, consistent. And those are the type, I think what Thomas said is excellent, too. That's another one. Policy. I don't know what the policy and procedure is, uh, and maybe you don't either as a substitute, because like you said, you're going to different uh, schools. I don't know if they have a uniform policy uh, in the county or district or wherever in the in the region uh, where you're doing your substituting, but I could easily see that being the sort of thing where it might not necessarily be uniform. Uh, but I would definitely want to know what the policy is on that. If it's no breaking up fights, I would already have that in mind from the very beginning. Uh, and I would also adjust my code knowing that up front that these whites are probably not going to help me uh, or will be very slow to offer assistance. Uh, so I might have to adjust uh, the code. If that means uh, if I'm not doing fights at all, we call, you know, the resource person or whatever, and then calling them by name. Uh, if I want, you know, whatever, Ted, can you do such and such and such and such? If I want them to call this or whatever it is, address them by name and tell them exactly what it is you want them to do. Uh, because, you know, it's very likely that they will just leave you out and we'll just let the nigga deal with all of it and then blame it on him when, you know, it goes bad. Uh, do we have any other folks who had suggestions, comments about uh, what we heard? Questions? Uh, I would reiterate, never, never attempt to break up a fight. Uh, I have uh, uh, witnessed uh, situations, probably one of the worst situations was where a uh, coach breaking up a fight uh, suffered a compound fracture. That means the bone sticking out uh, of his leg. He seemed to be, to me, seemed to be in a cast for almost a year, uh, walking around on a cast and probably ha and, and has a permanent limp, <clears throat> excuse me, based on, based on a breaking up a fight, as far as that concerned. Uh, I can't see nowhere in the public school system where they have that as a policy where a teacher is supposed to uh, do that, whether the substitute teacher or a permanent teacher. 
there are other people who are uh <clears throat> who are uh, uh paid to uh do such a thing. Uh that that's what I was thinking I'm thinking about. Uh when it comes to restaurants, uh continue to be very observant. But at the same time, don't take that much of a long time to make a decision to leave and go somewhere else. I mean, if pizza is what you really want, I'm pretty sure there's plenty, plenty of other places where you can find pizza at other than a one where you have to uh, go through uh, that type of situation. I, I, I'm, I don't even like sitting at restaurants, and I definitely don't like to go to restaurants where I can't see on what the people are doing with the food that I'm supposed to be getting. And at the, the first sign of any type of incorrectness that I see out of the employees with food, as far as they're concerned, I just walk off. I just walk off. Uh, and that, that's been with not only uh, white people, but also non-white people. Because sometimes uh, non-white people have a tendency uh, with Maybe maybe their pain or whatever they may be going through on the job, uh, they take it out on another non-white person. As far as that concerned, I mean anything of, of rudeness such as I, I can remember uh, one time uh, going to a uh, going to a uh, one of these fancy uh, grocery stores uh, uh, where they have have the you know the, the top-notch food there and. Uh, Every time I'm uh, attempting to order something, I would like I would like to have the undivided attention of the person who is supposed to be taking my order. And every time over her mouth, she would turn her back and go do something else. You know, far that concerned, and uh, you know, which not only that you don't know whether the person is paying attention to what you're doing, that it's just rude just to do that. You know, and. Uh, so and and I I'm you know I I uh, put it in the term of a question. I said is, is this uh, is this uh, something uh, as far as the policy in your training on what uh, the employee is supposed to do when the customer is asked is is uh, giving giving uh, giving you uh, what they want and you turn your back you know that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, those are things that I I can think about you know as far as what uh, uh, the caller was saying and uh, congratulations with the. Uh, which with an offspring and uh, hang in there. I, 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 uh, based on your long your testimony, I think uh, that you are, are really doing the right things as far as uh, working on uh, situations. And all of us got mental problems from from a standpoint, you know. Uh, and and it looks like you are hanging in there and doing a, doing a good job to try to overturn that. And thanks for listening. Appreciate that retired firefighter context of white supremacy. Uh, one thing I did want to emphasize really quick, uh, the caller that dialed in, uh, you, because of your job, your time uh, in the classroom, you have seen education, another area of people activity. You have seen the plan for black children. You said yourself, very depressing. Been like that for a number of years, decades. That means, we said, or I've said this before, Dr. Welsing certainly said it many, many times for years. Uh, we play around with sex. Joke is on the offspring. Uh, I've said, I hope, you know, we develop 
counter racists. I hope we develop an academic plan for our child's development, like way before the child is even here, really before they're even conceived because of what you've seen working diligently. I hope with your uh, partner, the child's mother to uh, crank out an extraordinary counter-racist academic plan for your child. Hopefully you can avoid uh, that classroom situation altogether, but you you already know what's going to be waiting for your offspring uh, in the system of white supremacy. Uh, other folks, if you one got... One thing, Gus, can I say one more thing to the, um, to the young man, please? Let's hear it. Uh, the most important thing, and um, just to reiterate what Gus said, is uh, as a young person, you have to have put in your mind that we can end the system or, you know, we you can't give up at that age. I mean, we, we have to continue to fight. Uh, we have to, you're not going to fight if you don't think you can win. So I think that, you, you know, instead of thinking we can't win, let's try to figure out how we can. Context of... Sorry. I appreciate all the comments. Uh, um, definitely taking everything to heart. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Absolutely. Very, very important. The problem of racism, white supremacy can be solved. Uh, whites, they uh, just use logic to put the system of white supremacy together. We can use logic to permanently take the system apart. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, if we've not heard from you at all, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Greetings to you, the hosts, the callers, and the listeners. This is Mahandisi. I was going to call about uh, two uh, different situations. One is about Walmart coming into the city and how that affects black business people. And the other is, well, Walmart coming into the black community, that is. And then the other is a chess program that I've been teaching these uh, some children chess and then the experience with that. But Walmart coming into the city uh, for the last maybe three years or so, there's been conversations about Walmart coming to the black black part of the neighborhood where all the black people are, over 80% of the black people are in one section of the neighborhood, excuse me, over 80% of the black population is in one section of the city. And they're trying to put a Walmart in this section of the city. It's going to be the biggest Walmart that's in the city. And it so happens, I, I've been doing some research and talking to people, that right where they're putting the Walmart, that they want to place the Walmart, it's the most busy intersection. It, it, or if I have that correct, it, it, that um, <laughs> one of the restaurants is, uh, I don't want to say the name of the, of the restaurant exactly, but it's that this particular restaurant um, and where, where it's located, um, it, it does the best in the entire country. And they want to put the Walmart right next to it. So like the black people, I'm saying this to say, the black people, are getting money passed through their hands and it's quite a bit of money and they're putting this, they want to put this Walmart in the, um, to collect all the black money. Here's the problem. Walmart is well known for putting 
mom and pop stores out of business or any store out of business because Walmart sells everything. So then how do you compete with them? So there's a radius, a couple mile radius or, or however, there's a radius of you cannot do business. You know, so the black people, if this Walmart comes into the city, to, to the black part of town, the black people will no longer be able to do several different types of businesses. In fact, they'll probably all be out of business altogether. It'll be a very short period of time that they're all out of business altogether. And uh, the black people in the city have been fighting the Walmart coming uh, to this section of town. But then their argument isn't that the Walmart's going to make it to where no black person can ever go into business again. Their argument was something that, you know, I, it, it was like something really petty about the the layout or something. But they, but ultimately, black people see this as a good thing because it'll bring more quote-unquote jobs. But so on and so on, you know, they you, you get paid minimum wage. There's only a few people that get paid, and but they're making um, they're making way more than what they're paying out to the black community. It's the overall loss, not a gain to the community. Overall financial loss. And then uh, the other thing I was wanting to mention was about this chess program that I've been working with. I've gone to a few different schools, uh, and I've been teaching or helping to teach these students chess. And uh, while I'm teaching them chess, so the first first place I went recently was a all white school or mostly white people, white children, and like one black student, one black male. And I had the hardest time trying to get to the black male to to teach him because there's so many white students, and then the black male is kind of not paying attention. He's doing all sorts of other things, you know, dancing and sometimes singing and just moving around and and then when I come to him he'll he'll we'll, we'll talk but then he needs to go and talk to his white friends so we don't really get to to get anything he doesn't learn we don't get anything soft in that situation well anyway then this next assignment that I had I was in a mostly black well there were some indians too so uh east indians but they're almost our color, almost my color, brown. Anyway, so it was uh, one white student, and all the other students were black or Indian, and then like two, or one Mexican uh, uh, female. And these are children in elementary, no, not elementary, middle school. And so I'm, I'm trying to teach them. I'm giving them, the, you know, a lecture. I'm asking them questions. But I only have a certain amount of time. We're, while I'm while I'm talking, what what I need to uh, get conveyed to them, I need to do in an hour's time. And this white child, every time I ask the question, I ask questions to the students. I tell them, raise your hand, and I'll call on you. The white child just blurts it out, blurts out whatever answer he chooses to blurt out. Sometimes it's the right answer, sometimes it's not the right answer. But that's not the situation. The situation is that he continuously speaks out of turn intentionally after I tell them time and time again, stop, raise your hand, allow everybody to participate, but he will not allow everybody to participate. And then I, I went another day, I decided to come early. 
to just to see what the students were doing. So I came early. I came an hour early, and they were reading. They they just got done playing, and then they were reading. So the black students, uh, at least the black males, the two black males weren't able to read very well. But they they could sound out the words, but they're moving very slow. But the white child to show that he's he's able to read, he'll read very fast to where it's kind of hard to even pick up the meaning of his words because it's it's a little bit too fast. And he's a child. I mean, he's a he's a little person. Uh, but anyway, it's it's just really it's really interesting. And then I'm trying to teach. I ask everybody, how long have you been playing chess? Everybody goes around. They've been playing a year, two years, uh, half a year. Some someone's been playing three years. And I asked the two black children. One of them said, I've been playing for half a week. And, and I asked the other child, how long you've been playing? He just shook his head, the black child. And and I said, well, you know, what, what is that? What does that mean? He said, I don't know how to play. I haven't, I haven't played before. So I'm trying to teach the children, but I, I have the hardest time getting to the child that needed the help the most. Just because the way... The, the time frame, but also the way that the white child demanded so much attention and, and also his interruptions to where it wasn't interruptions that he would have gotten kicked out of a class. Like if, if I, if it was a white teacher, I don't think he would have gotten kicked out of class, of course, but it was such interruption that the other students weren't able to participate the way they needed to participate. And this child has understanding. He understands that his opponents are the black people. And that was another thing. So with the, on the assignment, the previous assignment that I mentioned where it was mostly white students or all white students except one black child, they, all, they just kept saying, white moves first, white moves first, so blah, 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 white moves first. And they just, they just kept reiterating that. They understand their position. They understand that they're the white players. Even the black children understand that they're the black players. When I, when I, uh, the second assignment, when I sit down with the children, I, I, I sat down with, um, with one of the uh, female children and asked her, which side, uh, I, I said, okay, let's, let's, um, let's play a game. Which side do you uh, want to uh, be, white or black? She said, I want to be black. So, uh, and, and that is consistent. They understand that they're the black side, maybe on a subconscious level. The white children understand that they're the white side on a conscious level. Those were the things I wanted to mention. And then the other, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is just, it's very beautiful to hear the problem can be solved. White people, the problem of white people can and will be solved. And we will solve this problem. Whether I live, whether I die, whether any individual, one of us lives or dies, we are going to solve this problem. I thank you. Appreciate that. Amon DC, context of white supremacy. Uh, it sounds like the little, well, I don't know how old these uh, fellows, how old were these, this age range, do you know? Um, they were in middle school. It seemed like they, like even uh, some of them had just got to middle school. Like these are real little people. I, I'm sorry. I've, I kind of didn't ask them their age. Oh, right. Just trying to get a ballpark. Sound in middle school, so that's like eleven ish. If they just got there, maybe ten. Yeah, round about that, or it's that. You know, 
Okay. Round about that, yes. This little uh, white tyrant uh, sounds like race soldier to me. I've seen that before where white and white children that age, uh, if we're saying 10, 11, somewhere around there, I've seen where that age, where they are, they are very aware. Yes, white side, white goes first. And further, this nigger is not going to tell me to not interrupt or talk or whatever. I'm white. I talk when I want to. I interrupt what I want to. In fact, white goes first. I'm supposed to answer all the questions, whether I know the answer correctly uh, or not. And, you know, whatever. I'll talk when I want to. I've seen that consistently. I could be in error. Um, that fascinating and, again, grandsister, Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. I am sure, in fact, I'm sure she would have had a lot to say about uh, all of that in terms of uh, the white child speaking out first and interrupting and taking up uh, all of the time and the white children already playing chess, knowing their role, identifying with the white side, uh, the black uh, students not, or I guess uh, quite a few of them not having that connection to chess, not playing and uh, not even having an interest uh, as much in playing the difficulty and getting being able to connect with them. I know she certainly would have had something to say about uh, our attention being on other things, the dancing and just being distracted, talking to our little quote unquote white friends uh, and just not being able to get serious work done. Uh, I think she would say that is exactly uh, how the system has been set up, designed uh, so that that's how we'll function uh, to make it very, very difficult for us to be serious about serious things and dance with you say that all the time. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary and or questions on any of what we've discussed thus far, uh, feel free. Any of the folks that we've missed uh, completely, if you have a hand up, uh, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. Uh, I had a, a few incidents, but I'm, I'm going to break these down and I'll just spread them out in the uh, weeks to come. The first, I wanted to start out with uh, the, the mental health thing because some of the some of my coworkers are still going to this class where uh, it's like mandatory for us to take. They didn't necessarily specify as to why we had to take this course. Um, but the reason why I wanted to mention this is there was a lady that's been coming in, a white lady, uh, and she's been given, it seemed like the rest of the people problems in my department but I've been able to use codification and uh, like there was an acronym in the class called ALGE it's uh, A-L-G-E-E -E. Um, and I used the, the L for listen and like I didn't really try to speak very much to this person because she wasn't it didn't seem like she was very logical in her thinking. Uh, there definitely was some uh, mental, uh, I guess, imbalance there, or whichever term I can use. Uh, she was just saying that she was 
looking for a case about an injunction against somebody named Oliver or something. Now, I don't think this is an existing person. This could be, you know, something in her imagination. And she was just saying how she thought that things were just jumping all over the screen when I was showing her the uh, case results, search results on the name she gave me. And the actual name did come up, but she was saying how words and numbers were jumping around. So I didn't give a response. Mainly it was just like a little slight nod. And that was pretty much it. Uh, but both of the times that I dealt with her, I didn't really get any issues, but everybody else was complaining or whatever. So she was saying that, you know, she was about to go to the law firm or whatever. And <laughs> she said, uh, you know what? I just don't like dealing with rednecks. So I, I had no idea what the context of that statement was. So this person is also bringing around large luggage and backpacks with her, whether it's cold or it's hot or if it's raining. She usually have these three large bags with her for some reason. And, you know, I just wanted to start out with that for the mental health. Uh, and the next one I want to talk about is the adoption. They have adoption uh, days where they do these hearings. And I think I mentioned this maybe a few years ago, but it's it's very infrequent. It's like a special occasion. And I see this when I head upstairs. And primarily, these are, um, I guess some people would call it well-to-do white people uh, of a certain income bracket. And now, usually, okay, I'll see a complete white family, and, you know, they'll be having the white children, and they'll sometimes be having non-white babies, okay? They'll be holding them, and you won't really see the parents. Like, I know they didn't produce a child with melanin. But my thing is, is I'm not sure how these hearings are going about. Uh, and I also see, like, people taking pictures and, you know, a bunch of happiness going on. So that's another thing I wanted to mention. Um, and an another point I wanted to bring up was in the newsletter, there's a... Uh, uh, a black male coworker of mine who has been there for over 20 years, and they acknowledge him getting a assistant supervisor position. Okay, and they announced this in the newsletter for some reason, but it's, in my opinion, given more evidence to there's something uh, going on with maybe potential class action lawsuits or something of that nature. And they're trying to uh, give victims titles and compensation. But I think it's very deceitful because they intend on brutalizing and mistreating other victims while they do this. So they, they acknowledge this black male and they say that, well, you know, he's been here for 22 years uh, and he, he deserves it whether or not he's grilling hot dogs and he's moving around boxes. Okay, see, now the, the tackiness and the, uh, the the tricks and the nefarious nature of this woman who was putting together, putting together this newsletter, just not even acknowledging his skills on 
doing the record archives. This is what he does. He's not doing, you know, cooking, preparing meals. Okay. Uh, so I guess she's, she still uh, looked at him with contempt. Okay. And that's the only thing that I can think of right now. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share. Appreciate that. They have been, at least uh, from my view, uh, weaponizing their newsletter of late. Uh, like, wow, like fine black person. And, uh, oh, you opened a bag of potato chips by yourself? Put that in the newsletter. Uh, let's get a vote over that right now. Get the bag of potato, uh, potato chips in there. Like, just snatch a black person, put them in the newsletter, and show accolades. I guess so then when the lawsuit comes up, they can whip out the newsletter and say, oh, see, look how many black people. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? We've mistreated. We have honored 50 Negras since January. That's just since the beginning. Look at him. We got we celebrated him for the chips, and we got our caller was in there. He talked about that before, and now we got just black and for goofiness, too, for uh, hot dogs and such. Like, come on. Like, uh, the system of racism, white supremacy, just and I wouldn't even if they had come to you with the with the newsletter thing. It, I don't know if they came to you and let you know in advance that you, this was going to be something in the newsletter. Same thing with him. I don't know if they went to him in advance or if this was just their own little project that they put together. And it's supposed to be a big surprise. You're in the newsletter. Just wanted to recognize all your hard work. But uh, I would be a leery even when it looks like whites are trying to do something nice to recognize you and and all of that that they probably have some sort of ulterior motive even if it's a long range plan because i don't know if this also everything that they're concerned about is going to be a trial at some point or what have you that could be happening next year or five months from now uh they could have long range goals most of the time do have long range goals pertaining to white supremacy racism Keep that in mind, even if they're doing something nice, uh, something that looks, quote unquote, nice uh, for you. The tackiness. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the redneck is with the mental health issue. That would just be one I would make a a mental note. I think great non-response. Mm -hmm. And continue uh, with the conversation, the dialogue. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have, I guess, question, commentary, thoughts on what has been discussed thus far, or if you have your own situation, number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you have commentary. Uh, did we miss anybody? Anybody that has a hand up that we've not heard from at all? We nab all the callers thus far. Got everybody. Grant will assume that we nabbed all of the callers. Any of the folks that are with us have uh, either questions, comments on what's been discussed thus far? Can I say one more thing? Yes, sir. Okay, so I just looked up the address, you know, because I put it in my GPS or whatever. And it's an elementary school. So so these are younger than 11, you know, so maybe, I don't know, uh, 7 to 10-ish. I think two of them might. They look like they could have been 11 or so. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to um, give that correction. It looks like this is, or this is definitely an elementary school. 
appreciate the update or correction, as you said, uh, Iman DC. So it's even a little bit younger. Uh, that good to know as well uh, that whites at seven, eight, nine, they are already playing chess, probably from the perspective of racism, white or probably from the context of white supremacy racism. That's what it sounds like to me. But that's good to know at an even younger age uh, than 10 and 11, seven, eight, nine. They understand their position. Uh, any other folks uh, that are with us have comments, questions on uh, what's been discussed thus far? Uh, Emmy should be with us as well from the D.C. area that survived the riots spurred by Dr. King. Uh, good to hear from you, Emmy. Um, can I be heard? Uh, your volume is a little low. Is this better? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, greeting, greetings, everyone. Um, I didn't get to hear uh, all of the conversation around the mental health or, or hear the story or anything like that. Um, I was at my local plantation, um, so I didn't get to hear, so I can't really make a comment on that. I would like to say that I think it's absolutely spectacular um, teaching young people chess. I love chess. I think I just, I love chess. And uh, I wish I had learned to play much younger. So, and I think that black people will like chess as soon as we don't think it's a white people thing when we really realize that it's not. I was listening to Dr. Welding speak. Uh, I don't remember which video um, it was on YouTube, but at the time when she was speaking, the like national child chess champion was a black child, and nobody even knew that. But she mentioned she mentioned it as an aside, but she mentioned it nonetheless. Um, I also, I guess, I think this would make be a perfect time for me to say that I recall maybe a year or so ago, or quite some time ago. Uh, DC had mentioned or said something about saying it out loud that the system of white supremacy will be replaced or ended like and he was talking about the importance of actually saying it out loud I took that to heart and I had just started saying it out loud uh, even in the car like I would just say it and that uh, I felt weird at first um, and then I began to internalize it so I guess I should say thank you and so to hear many people talking about it now and saying it out loud. I think it's fantastic. Um, and I think, I guess, segueing into uh, mental health, for me, um, and this is my personal opinion, uh, well, really, it, it has some basis in some research, but that the mind being constructed and functioning the way that it does really does love clarity. Like, it functions as, in, as a sorting organ that like is always trying to make sense of things and put things in their you know respective places and make associations between things I think that when there's a difference and there are studies to actually show that it, psychologically if you have stress same there's stress uh, on an organism or an individual that by feeling as though you have some control over that situation actually allows your body to acclimate or deal with the stress in a different way. There's also um, research to suggest that there is a like healthy place 
for stress, that having no stress at all is um, perhaps just as detrimental as having too much stress and that the level of stress kind of follows like a bell curve, like there's a happy medium. Um, and so then that will move me into the thing that I actually specifically want to share. I was thinking about this earlier this week just because I, I do work, but I also um, really consider my main place uh, school. That's really what I do. And I just work to kind of get to and from that to get some gas money. And uh, I'm very stressed out right now. I'm in very like tough courses and um, everything is coming due and I'm tired. I'm extremely tired. And um, like I took an exam that like I studied for a very long time and I did not do well to be transparent and frank um, to the point that like I just decided that I had to amend my entire approach to this because I did not do well, not because I did not understand the information. I did not do well because of the anxiety and stress I had about this particular course and the material. And so that led to, you know, not trusting myself and so forth. And so I know and I hope that there are more young people listening than that actually call in or that there are people who um, listen and may know some people who are like in school and share certain things. And, you know, I also pay attention to the backgrounds that everybody comes from, like I'm talking about my classmates. And there's also another element. I'll tie all this in in a second. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who are on amphetamines or methamphetamines legal, like legally because they've been diagnosed with ADHD or anything like that. And, the, you know, those are really uppers. So what they allow people to do is be chemically altered to function at a different level than if you're not chemically altered. And, you know, science shows this. There's even this documentary on Netflix um, that talks about it as well. And so, you know, when you're looking at your ability to perform in a particular high-level course or something like that, it's very important to consider, you know, what you have going on and what other people have going on. And that if it has ever been done, whether it's a course or inventing something or becoming whatever, by anybody in the world, logic says that you can also do it. And, um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the sweet spot of the stress. Like, by being able to know the system of, not know it, but be less confused about it, then you are able, it changes the paradigm or the, the glasses, the perspective, the tone of what it is that you do on a regular basis. And by having that as a young person when you're in college, you're able to not get so swept up in so many other things, including the comparison amongst your peers and yourself. Furthermore, you're able to be so self-respecting to the point that you, you know, ask your questions and get that information. And then also, because there's going to be stress just because it's stressful when you're in college and you're doing something challenging, but then added on top of that, the stress of being non-white and what it means, especially if you're in a STEM where the higher the course level, the way less black people there are, you know, there'll be non-white people, but they won't be black. Um, so which can still feel very isolating. All of that, I think, with the right perspective can be a sweet spot and really kind of transform your determination. At least that's what I'm intending. We'll see. I guess I'll check back in after the semester and tell you all how it went. But um, I'm kind of there, and I just wanted to say to anybody else who knows people who are there, it's very important to um, 
respect that. Some people really diminish, like, they're like, oh, you just sit in class, and it's it's really not that. It's a whole other kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess that's really it, that, you know, don't give up, no matter what it is, and um, you can always, always, always come back. So, all right, I thank you all for listening. Context of white supremacy. Appreciate that, Emmy. Uh, that came up again. Uh, appreciate the transparency as well. Uh, talking about because we talked about that <clears throat> with Joseph Gibson. Uh, academic rigor is needed. Uh, everything in academics is not easy. Everything isn't supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be challenging. That is the process of learning. That's why we say that on the program all t- all the time. Still learning, Mr. Fuller. Uh, but. <clears throat> That having us questioning ourselves that happens frequently within the system of racism, white supremacy happens for humans across the board, certainly, but for black people, especially because it's all the time. And we have that caller who dialed in earlier this evening uh, who said that his white friends uh, would tease him about how dumb and ignorant black people are uh, that. Oh, yeah, of course. Black people love PlayStation because you're so dumb and ignorant that you can't read. So you got to use the controller that doesn't have any letters on it. You got to use the one that's just got shapes on it. It's those types of things all the time, subliminal, uh, subliminally, uh, directly. Sometimes they're just real explicit about it uh, that are just their ways of undermining our confidence and how we go about functioning in all areas of our life, not just, you know, what happens in the classroom. So just understanding it and just finding different ways of making sure that we are confident in how we go about our approach, whether it's on the job, classroom, same thing, really, but just finding different ways uh, to reinforce our confidence and not reinforced on, you know, nonsense and foolishness, but reinforced on substance. We did the work, know the material, confident and no anxiety about it because we're just going in to perform black brilliance. Uh, I think Dr. Well, Dr. Welsing name mentioned a lot today. Uh, I think she talked a lot about that, the importance of black self-respect. And again, just the system is designed to, to have us in that state where we're questioning and not confident, uh, even to a point where we're not confident about things that we're absolutely stellar at, uh, where that's just what the system of white supremacy is designed to do. Uh, other folks who dialed in and absolutely the problem of white supremacy racism can be solved. Uh, other folks that we've not heard from at all, uh, if you dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Ivy here. Uh, greetings, Ivy. Good to hear from you. Good to hear from you, Gus. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to all the callers and listeners online. Um, Amy, I'm sorry that you um, didn't do well, but I have full confidence in you that you're definitely going to bounce back because you're so brilliant that you you teach math and science. Um, and you also have a quote about stress with, um, you know, working out, just incredible advice. As far as that comment about, you know, we're so dumb, we can only recognize shapes or whatever. First of all, we were taught by you, meaning we were taught by white people. So what does that make you? That makes you a terrorist who under undereducates people based on skin color. As far as that uh, clip uh, where they blame Dr. King for the self-defense uh, that they call rioting, uh, that made me so mad. Like that after I heard that, 
I just turned the sound down. And that's, again, a part of just my weakness of not being able to take the hits from these terrorists. Like, I hate, I, I hate racists so much, Gus, and to the codified soldiers on the line, that I'm to the point where I hate to even hear these people's voice. I hate to hear their voice. I hate to, I hate to see white people's face. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get better, and I believe I'm going to get better, where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading more and more and listening more and more and, 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 and taking these hits instead of just kind of depending on other people who have, you know, been able to, to listen to, you know, these, these uh, racist way of, of reporting uh, news. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wanted to say to Red, like, you know, it's awesome that you um, are ignoring this race soldier. Um. And she definitely knows what she's doing. Um, and I believe that when, because you, you spoke about this, I believe it was on the compensatory call-in. You, you said that she came up to you, said your name wrong, and said, uh, I don't know why I keep doing that, but, well, but it's okay. I believe she came up to you just to say that. And that, to me, says that she knows exactly what she's doing. She came up to you just to say that it's okay for her to get your name wrong. And it's like, why would you say, well, I don't know why I keep doing that, which acknowledges that you did something wrong and then turn around and say, oh, but it's okay. She is a race soldier. She is harassing you. She is going out of her way to terrorize you. You do not have to feel uh, bad for her. You do not have to, like, I don't think she got mental problems at all because I feel like people with mental problems can't reason and she reasoned that that she was incorrect by continuing to to call you by a name that isn't yours, and even if she does have mental problems, who cares? Uh, she's a race soldier, um, and I think as far as you not wanting to be the angry uh, black woman, um, you said that also on the compensatory call. And the thing is, racists have they have conditioned us to uh, not be angry about things that we should be angry about. They have weaponized and they have demonized anger. When it comes to victims, they can be angry about stuff, but we can't be angry about the way that they harm us and terrorize us. And so don't fall into that, that trap. And we've all been, we've all fallen victim, victim to it. And even when you said like, you know, you, you feel bad about not sometimes not answering uh, this, this, this race soldier. I understand that. And that makes you a great person because the reality of it is, is that it's not supposed to be this way. We're not supposed to not answer each other. The reason that is this way is because these people are waging war against us. So it feels unnatural to you to just not answer people when they're talking to you and things like that. And that, you know, that makes you human and that makes you a good person that you feel bad about even mistreating somebody that's mistreating you, uh, which you're not mistreating her, but the way, the way that you are treating her toward a person who, who, is, who is mistreating you and who is harming you. So that's just your decent humanity coming in, but you don't have anything to feel bad about. You don't feel bad about being a race soldier at all. And so you should not feel bad about um, being codified and being a counter racist. Also, as far as the, the sexual harassment, in my view, uh, about this person saying that she, she, can't, she just keeps looking at your lips, um, I would imagine you wrote that down. And if you didn't, obviously you remembered it because you told us. I think that if you if it happens again, that you should go report this person. I don't care if she's your supervisor or whatever for 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 sexual harassment. If you don't go ahead and report the one that has already taken place, because that is sexual harassment. And I don't know if changing your lip gloss and all these different things is um, going to change 
anything because I feel like a, a sexual predator is a sexual predator and a homosexual is a homosexual, and they will find anything. They'll say, I'll keep looking at your hair or I keep looking at your nails or I keep looking at your outfit or whatever. But at the same time, you know, you come to your own conclusions. You, you are the one who's living that situation. I'm not. I think, you know, trying to be wise about any way that you can avoid these types of things is also great as well. I'm trying to think uh, if there was uh, anything else that I wanted to say in terms of your uh, particular situation. I, I just I, I commend you about the way that you have been going about this, and, and, and I, I think that, you know, it's, it's commendable that you feel bad about um, sort of being at odds with this, this, this race soldier, and uh, that's all I can rem- remember for now. So I'll leave my line. Thanks, uh, everyone, for listening, and thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Ivy, uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all. Uh, if you have a hand up and we've not heard from you at all, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. <clears throat> greetings, Gus. Greetings, callers. Um, first off, Gus, I definitely want to thank you for what you're doing because i um, I listened to the, the archives, and I am an attempted parent. I try to have my offspring listen after I screened, of course, because some, some things are not exactly G-rated. Um, that being said, <clears throat> uh, I know we talk, uh, I hear a lot of talk about um, codification, and um, uh, a lot of times it's very easy when we are transitioning from one job to another, but... Um, I don't think I've heard anyone mention, you know, like if you are in a career and you're not really trying to transition to another job, whatever reason, um, specifically like if you have offspring and you, it's not something that is very easy to do um, when you, when you have offspring sometimes. Um, what are things that, that, that we could do to, um, you know, if you've, you were a lot more confused in the past and you, you are a lot less confused now and you, you definitely want to start making some changes, but you, you know, you know that any subtle changes you make, people are going to be watching you. I really haven't, and maybe there is something in the archives that I've missed, but I really haven't heard any strategies for, for that kind of uh, transition uh, on the job. So I was just curious if any of the other callers had a situation like that where they were, already confused on the job and, and um, decided to start trying to be less confused and um, uh, how that worked out for them. And I'll meet my line. Appreciate that, sir. Uh, I know down through the years, and I mean, even years before workplace racism was like a, a separate broadcast on Thursdays or even when we were doing it during the compensatory call-in uh, we've had a number of people down through the years, as you said, who, as they became less confused and while staying at the same job, began changing their behavior, uh, it was very noticeable. Uh, I said consistently, you should already be thinking that in the system of white supremacy, you are under surveillance, uh, that whites are watching you extremely close. Everything that you do, everything uh, that you say and you know if you're taking a vacation or if you're bringing books in everything so certainly they're going to notice if there are major changes in your behavior uh, I didn't I didn't hear specifics but I mean some of the uh, 
some of the things that I've heard over the years in terms of when people were not being codified on the job, they were maybe being what people might classify as friendly with whites, talking, uh, conversing about things that have nothing to do with the job, uh, maybe allowing them to call you nicknames or whatever the case may be, uh, going out to lunches, uh, hanging out outside of uh, work, maybe even involving drinks or what have you if you're going to a bar, those types of things. Uh, if it's going to be then cutting back, absolutely, uh, it's going to stick out. I would uh, suggest suggestions that I would have is to just know that up front that it is going to stick out and then be prepared if they have questions. If it's a, oh, man, you used to go and hang out with us. What's the problem? Are you depressed? Are you sad? What's going on? Why don't you want to come out with us to already have codified answers? Uh, to those questions or if they try and make it a is, is something going on are you not feeling well you just don't you don't seem like yourself you know we're concerned about you to already have codified answers uh, to those questions and I would also make sure that you again I say this all the time uh, that it's you not being aloof uh, that you being codified you still speak to everyone acknowledge everybody you know when you come in morning Helen morning Tom you know morning Miss Smith whatever it is uh, all that, but just not engaged in the frivolousness uh, and talking about work issues. That's a big one. I emphasize uh, that way. They can't say that you're not talking to us. So you're so quiet. I don't know if you, you know, were real chatty uh, with folks before, but just talking about work issues. We're not just going to be talking about uh, or I would hope your new counter racist codification. We're not going to be talking about personal issues and what I'm doing with my family and all my free time, that sort of thing. We're going to be having conversations about the job and things that are happening here pertinent to what we're supposed to be doing on work company time. Um, I guess do do other folks have specifics? I don't know if we have folks who have have done this transition successfully where they didn't get fired. I can say. I have heard from a number of people where this transition did result in them being terminated, where it did not go well. And whites just said, oh, my goodness, something must be wrong with you. And we're really concerned. And you just don't seem like a fit anymore because it just seemed like such a, a drastic shift from the way that they functioned before. I've heard that uh, from a number of non-white people uh, over the years. Uh, do, do any folks have suggestions or folks who've been able to do that without any major consequences? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Retired firefighter. My my attitude uh, to the subject was, uh, and I'm being logical, is that white people uh, more more than their victims understand that we should be uh, attempting to uh, end the system of racist white supremacy, whether whether uh, we are in the workplace or not. They they are more keen to that understanding than anything. Uh, they they are aware that they have uh, put us in a situation to whereas there's a risk involved uh, to uh, to to do so. Uh, but uh, in in my case, uh, I uh, took advantage of the uh, of the. Uh, uh, when it came to the social aspect, I guess, uh, I took advantage of the, uh, the, the, uh, union, uh, like, uh, directives, uh, that, uh, designed to quote unquote protect employees, 
uh, although uh, we know that that's not necessarily meant for non-white black people, but nevertheless, one thing that uh, myself and people like uh, Mr. Clark, who was on your program, can can uh, tell you is that uh, we always thought that they, they did not want to make us out of martyrs. Uh, those of us like myself and him and, and a few others, uh, they didn't want to make martyrs out of us uh, within the uh, uh, South Florida area. So they kind of like uh, uh, just tolerated, I guess, tolerated uh, our behavior uh, as far as workplace. But I would, I would speak directly to it. Uh, to uh, if if someone asks me the question, if I'm not being asked the question, then I would have I wouldn't say anything about it. But if someone asks me a direct question about uh, about why I'm not doing what I used to do, uh, uh, they if they you know press me in that way, I would I would speak directly to it. You know, as far as that concern, and uh, that's my that was just my attitude about it because they can fire you for anything anyway. As far as that, you, you could be doing everything right, uh, quote unquote, kissing their behinds and everything, and you still get fired. I've seen that happen. You know, as far as that concerned, so uh, might as well, uh, you know, try to uh, have some kind of codified uh, uh, understanding when you go into the workplace, and but at the same time, uh, uh, you know, be codified. And uh, that that's my thoughts on that important yes emmy just i was just gonna say real quick uh that's important point to keep in mind as well that you can even if you had continued or any of us even if we continued not being codified and being happy and having fun on the job uh you could get terrorized and all the bad stuff could happen anyway so i think that's always real important to keep in mind uh emmy did you have commentary i do briefly um I think that is a, a lot of people struggle with that. But the word I think that's important is strategize. The thing is, everybody's work situation is different. And the white people that they work with or the relationship that they have with these white people is different. So you kind of got to know your white people that you work with and come up with a strategy that is most efficient in making your transition. I think where, for instance, I had one, this was way before the cow, so it wasn't like I got less confused. I just didn't want to participate in all of the familiarities. I just wanted to do my job. Um, and I had always been that way, but in order to get promoted, I was like super extra, extra, um, and it ended horribly, and I did end up having to leave that situation. Um, however, in a, in a microscopic or microcosm or something like that situation, for instance, um, right now at the pharmacy, I made the mistake of, because I'm not, you know, I'm still new to the codification and I'm still developing my code. And so I st still have to practice. I still make mistakes. And so I had made a couple of mistakes, engaged in a couple of conversations, perhaps maybe was a little bit more friendly with an individual who, who functions as a white individual. Um, but they, I didn't know that at first. And even afterwards, I still make mistakes. So I'm not trying to uh, get away from my mistakes. I, after I realized that he considers himself white, functions as a white person, I still made a couple of mistakes. 
But when I realized, okay, I was like, that's not really the way to go. This is not how I wanted to do. I um, implemented a code of I'm just really, really all about my work and just got a lot on my mind. And, you know, no one can really get at you for that. The thing where I think we make a mistake is when it's abrupt. Like, it's like I just was one day all up in your face, super nice and friendly on Monday. And on Tuesday, I showed up like, I don't have anything to say to anyone. Just leave me, you know, and that is not, I don't think, ever going to work. So I think it's a little bit of the transition. So it's not like a stark line. It's more like, you know, you just fade out a little bit. Each day just fade out, you know, and it takes time. 21 days to develop a habit. So I have a different number, but I use 21, which means that in 21, I mean, you can retrain yourself, but you can also retrain the people around you. So actually coming up with like sitting down and being like, okay, today we we don't do this or we don't say that or we start greeting a particular way, you know what I mean? And it allows people to get acclimated and accustomed to your new way of being without it being something that's going to throw them completely off. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's really it. Coming up with a strategy and knowing that the strategy takes time. And I think you will be successful. It's completely possible to do. And um, I think even by having a lot on your mind doesn't mean like, even if that's a response, it doesn't mean that you have to share, you know? So even if it's like, oh man, you know, that is just, just thinking about a lot. That's all. Well, what do you think about that? I'm just thinking, you know, focus on whatever I'm doing. I agree with guys coming up with um, responses that you have practiced so that they sound very, very, very natural. That's the key. Even like people who act all the time, you just keep reciting the same thing over and over again until it just sounds like that's my natural response. Um, and I think you'll be successful. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate that, Emmy. Great point because it it definitely depends on you know where where you were in terms of functioning with whites, and then you know what is your your codification going to look like? Because it's definitely if it's super abrupt if you were going out to every luncheon and doing all the birthdays and bringing in cupcakes and bagels and hanging out on the weekends and now it's not talking at all like yeah that's that is a lot to shift in you know one day or even a week uh it depends on how much is is going to be changing we have any other suggestions on that folks who've had to do that uh, change in the workplace as you got a better understanding or just came to a decision that you were going to alter how you function in the workplace and, and how to do that without causing any problems? May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yeah, this is me again. Um, so my work, my work situation is a little bit different. Um, I, I work in IT and I, I work remotely. So for the most part, I, I'm not in the office around, around folks, but there are one or two occasions during the year where um, I, I do, you know, I, I have to be around uh, my, my coworkers. And when I first started, as I said, I was a lot more confused and, you know, gave out personal information, pictures of the, the, the offspring, things like that. So it's like um, now when those occasions occur, you know, the behavior, it's like, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to do the same things that I was doing before for the same reasons, because now that I'm a lot less confused, um, I don't really see a need to be talking about my offspring, what we're doing and, 
and not giving out my address and, you know, the, things like that, that, that I was doing before when I was more confused, if that puts things into context. Definitely helpful. Well, that shouldn't be as difficult since you don't have to be, it's not like an every day, uh, you gotta be around these folks and pressured about lunch and child's children's photographs and that sort of thing. So that should be a lot easier to implement. I would think, um, yeah, since it's, it's not a, it's not an everyday grind type of type of situation. Uh, I would think since it's not an everyday situation, it's not like you're really, really close with these people. I mean, even if you've been there, even if you've been there for 20 years, let's say, since you're not with them all the time, uh, this can't be a super, super chummy type thing when you do see these people, I would think. Is, am I am I off? Uh, I was very confused. Very, oh, okay. very confused. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> We were all there. I'm not confused anymore. <laughs> we were all there, sir. No, no shame in being confused. We are all still learning victims of white supremacy. But, but, and and that's why I said before too. Like it depends. So, okay. So if you were very confused, it you know it might take a little longer uh, in terms of the adjustment. Like Emmy was talking about that timetable. Uh, maybe it's 21 days. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's 45 days, uh, you know, depending on how much adjusting uh, you have to do. Just depends on, you know, how much hanging out and chatting it up and, and what have you were doing with with whites. But I mean, that's going to be substantial uh, if you, you know, <laughs> if you all were doing that much hanging out and chatting it up and all that. Like, wow, that's going to be really, really noticeable. And, you know, I would seriously go ahead and just plan out because they're probably going to ask and they are certainly going to talk amongst themselves you know oh my gosh what is up with him have you told like we used to chat i don't know what's going on is it anything uh i mean they will be talking amongst themselves big time and the questions will be rolling uh even if they you know once you've uh, answered if they ask and you come up with whatever responses they'll still be talking they might come back and ask again like uh yeah it, it it will be a sizable response did any other suggestions from listeners about how to deal with this transition Mother? yes ma'am i don't know uh, have a whole lot of uh confidence but i hope you know that it'll help i actually just dealt with a situation like that today it wasn't with a coworker. But it was with someone else who was trying to uh, press, pressure me to give uh, personal information. And the person was giving me a lot of their personal information, like way, way, way too much. It was just way over the top. And a lot of times people will tell you what you want to hear to find out what you want to know. But I just have a code that I, I take my time um, getting to know people. I do not give out a lot of personal information. Um, if any, right off or, you know, for a while, it takes a, like a long time. And so um, I guess, you know, with these people, you know, you could just maybe let them know that, um, you know, you just, you have come to be more private because um, that's what I kept telling this person, um, that you think it's important to be, to, to guard your your personal information. It's, a, it's the safe thing to do and that, you know, I don't know how well you know these people, but if you don't know them well, that you just take your time getting to know them, getting to know people, and whatever it is that you tell them for 
why you're not giving out your personal information, just give them that answer every time. And I know that that's one thing that I did is that I just kept saying to the person, I just take my time getting to know people. I don't feel comfortable sharing that. I, you know, take a while before I, I don't give out a lot of, you know, personal information, you know, early. Um, so just keep t- saying the same thing over and over because, like I said, they will um, ask you again to, to try to break you and to just stay, um, I guess, stern with that, that you don't owe anybody to give them your personal information. You don't owe anybody to, to let them invade your privacy, and that's that's a I have a, a real strict code about that because I cannot stand for my 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 privacy to be invaded. So it's very difficult to penetrate that that code um, for me. So you know that's all I had, and uh, I'll meet my life. Appreciate that, Ivy. Any other suggestions uh, on dealing with the transition? Uh, we had a caller uh think you're on the vote line uh if you had suggestions or if you had your own situation that you wanted to discuss you should be with us as well may i be heard yes sir um greetings gus uh callers and listeners um i do have some input in regards to that as far as making that transition i did call uh, actually i if you don't mind i'll backtrack I listened to your show originally way back in 2010. And at the time I was going through a lot of transition, but I'll be honest. I felt that at that point in junction, that your show was extreme and I fell back and, uh, I listened to other, you know, other, um, podcasts and other things as well. But as I've, as being a parent and being a father, I came back around as there were more callers and more interviews you were having with, uh, I'm a reader. So the books that you were bringing up, I was just, they were just bringing me right back to the show. And, um, currently right now, currently about like, I think I started listening again, I'd say probably August. And one of the things that you, uh, what I, that I ran into was being, labeled at my job, uh, kind of like uh, player, pimp, and all these other things. And this was mainly being done by the quote-unquote white workers in my team. Um, I called in, and I, I got, I'll never forget this, I actually got, um, again, I, I'd like to show some respect to retired firefighter. I thank you. Um, I kind of used a little bit of his information in regards to code, and I just asked questions every time they kept on saying these comments to me about player and pimp and trying to get them to actually really elaborate more. And the more I did that, the less they wanted to even bring it up and they fell back. Now I, I do get treated different. It's definitely noticeable, but I didn't completely alienate these people. And that's one of the keys I think to this is that you can't just shut off completely because you still had some kind of conversations with these people. You have to, depending on the people that you work with, you have to kind of gauge how much you can release as far as information, mainly work-related, and how much you're going to retract. Um, And whenever they get into a sticky situation, whenever I get into a sticky situation, all I do is ask questions, and immediately they backtrack because they, they know that they're not really saying anything that's proper, 
for work. They understand that they're quote unquote, uh, they're just in, they're just improper in general and off pace with what they're saying. So they tend to fall back. And again, I thank retired firefighter for that. Um, as well as yourself, Gus. Um, I also had some words for Emmy. I'd like to thank her as well for mentioning something in regards to health. And this was on the conspiracy call in, um, about two weeks back. And I really took it to heart. And then all of a sudden things started to fall into place more within my life as I really understood that my health is going to be mandatory and I have to show my child that I'm taking care of my health so that he takes care of his health and takes it serious as well. Um, so one of the things that I, I've been reading in, in um, Dr. Francis Kessling's book is, is just about doubt, you know, and this, the doubt that we constantly get that gets pushed to us constantly on a daily basis. It's not even easy to overcome. And um, I hung around, and this is part of my growth and part of my coding. I've hung around other non-white people that were drinkers, smokers, always joked around, never took anything serious. Even when they were, jo- even they, even when somebody did something good, like got a good job, it's almost it was like constant self-deprecation kind of jokes. They were just constantly beating each other up, and I just found myself going, "This can't be productive." This can't be good. We never say anything positive to each other, even when somebody succeeds. And I found that to be toxic. So I had to step away from those friends. And that's another aspect of this that, that I, don't, I don't think we kind of deal with a lot is just the fact that the more codified you become, the more you start to understand the dynamics of the situations going on around you, the more you have to retract. And then you do pull out and you will find for instance, I went to my son's uh, barbershop today and got him, you know, got him a fresh haircut. But I found people there that were on code, that were trying to actually build something in the community, have some events for the children. And the more you pull away from the, the toxic environments, as you reach out, you'll find, because the energy you're putting out is good, you'll find people that are actually out there trying to do something. And... Um, here in, in my aspect, I see it only as, as a positive and we could definitely overcome this system. We don't have much of a choice, if not for us, for our children. Um, again, I, I just wanted to pay my respects and say thank you. Um, and I'll mute my line. Thank you. Appreciate that. <clears throat> the extreme views of Gustine and the context of white supremacy. Do we have any other suggestions on uh, how to transition to being uh, more codified, more in line with counter-racist logic uh, on the job? Any other suggestions on how to do that without creating any new problems? I want to add something, um, Gus. Yes, ma'am. That I forgot. Um, uh, one thing that uh, was uh, seemed like a good tactic that seems to work for a lot of people over the years that they've uh, mentioned is that just as the previous caller said, asking questions, and I think that that goes along the lines of um, behaving in a way that actually turns them off so where they don't want to, uh, I guess, kind of uh, just waste time with you a lot and, and do a, a whole bunch of unnecessary fraternizing um, with you. And also when it comes to just you know, and, and talking about not cutting them off completely. There's actually a lot to talk to them about. You can talk to them a lot about work, and especially in the IT field, you know, there's always things to learn and 
just trying to get as much information as possible and um white people don't even want to give non white people uh information so you know that definitely turns them off and uh as far as the the one thing also that seems to work for a lot of people is that when you uh want to talk to them about work or different things of that nature and they want to try to talk to you about personal things or whatever in addition to giving them the same answer every time also changing the subject immediately just just switching it to something uh work related that seems to be a real uh good tactic that works uh mostly seem like uh in person um and man i thought uh Amy's commentary was was brilliant uh and that that should be a hashtag know your white people and that's all i had on me in my life context of white supremacy uh, other folks, if you have commentary, please do not wait until the last minute. Uh, if you know you have something that you would like to share, uh, go ahead and get a hand up. Uh, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, that said, again, uh, I do think folks should be thinking, uh, all of us, uh, with regards to the workplace environment specifically, things that hamper us from being codified, because I think that might even be some of it. I know some of us, you know, we get exposed to this information when we do, but I also think with some of us, uh, that's how we end up in these situations where we start a job, we're not being codified at first. And then we realize, man, I'm still having some of these problems. I think I do want to go ahead and be codified. And then we have to adjust. Uh, I know at least that's the case with some folks. Uh, it's not an issue that they had never heard of being codified on the job or having problems in the work, uh, workplace with racism. It was just that for whatever reason, they did not apply counter racist logic on the job and then tried to change their mind down the road. That's why I'm saying that that's really something that I think is key. We should be thinking about whatever it is that's, you know, stalling us out from just going ahead and following through with the codification needs to be examined. Uh, if we had any thoughts on that or if folks had any other comments, uh, feel free. Well, I definitely wanted to add this if no one else is going to speak. Um, I forgot to, to say this about what Gus said about this problem can be solved. If you think this problem can be solved, listen to the white people's reaction to the word dedicated in Gus's definition of racism. They are terrified of that word. And it goes back to one of the ways to solve this problem is using the most accurate terms because words produce thoughts, which produce action. And the way white people respond, they, I have heard white people tell Gus to take that word out of his definition. That is, people who classify themselves as white who are dedicated to abusing and subjugating everyone in the known universe who they classify as not white. So if you think this problem cannot be solved, just, just, just look at uh, white people's fear 
of that were dedicated. And as far as the, the person who, who spoke about that, you know, with your uh, mental health um, struggles, I, I hope that you um, get those things corrected. I'll be praying for you. And I think that, you know, you're doing just an excellent job just keeping up, you know, with the therapy. That's very, very important. Uh, we all need that. And uh, that's all I have for now in my life. May I be heard? Uh, yes, Emmy. Were you about to respond before I spoke? No, ma'am. Okay. Um, pardon. Uh, I'm someone who um, still makes mistakes in practicing my codification. I, um, I do not make these mistakes at school. Uh, I guess maybe because I pay to go there. So... I don't have to do anything. I don't feel any pull towards fraternizing with these kids. However, in my place of employment, at first I made mistakes because I miscalculated his classification. Uh, afterwards, I made mistakes because, and I have given it thought, well, you know, that's how I came up with the code of it's okay. I'm still learning and hmm, that's interesting because I had to examine, come to terms with, and accept that even though I um, am, you know, learning, I participate, I'm reading and studying, and I know what I know, and I know that there's a lot that I don't know, that however many years of programming is, it's a very powerful um, reality in terms of shaping and molding personality, character traits, and all of these things are things that we get to unpack, I guess, so to speak, but heal also, I guess I'll make that part personal that, you know, I have talked about and very clear and honest with myself that I do have fear, um, of, you know, around white people and stuff, especially with my money. Um, and uh, right now, I don't necessarily have to interact with a lot of, like, white people who have that much control, I guess, over things. Um, yes, I do have white professors, but they're also, like, relatively large lecture halls. There's not a lot of opinion giving, and it's not a very intimate space, even if I do attend office hours. I mean, I come very prepared with nothing but questions. So there's no room to really gauge where I'm coming from other than a student who's trying very hard to get this information in uh, and move on. So, you know, it doesn't get as sticky as say a work environment where there's, I want to say maybe downtime or what is perceived to be downtime. Um, and it's just different. It's a different environment. So um, I do have those. And even even still, there's a lot of internal push and pull and internal conversations I have about white people and how I should be despite knowing what I know and having had to accept this very painful reality, there's still that. Like even when I ring people up, you know, or deal with them when their prescriptions, it's still there. And so, you know, it's just, I don't really know what to tell anyone to do with it. I would just share with what I do with it which is I don't hate myself for it. That's the first part, because that part was really, really hard um, to accept for me that 
even though I know what I know, I still sometimes make these mistakes of behaving in a way that I don't, it, it's not really, it's in, antithetical to what I say I am or who I say I am. Uh, so first, I just, I don't use it to beat myself up. And then I have a internalized code talk, which allows me to move from that, you know, and, it, and by having that internalized code talk, it also allows me to look at it, though, because if you haven't developed a way to deal with it or how to talk to yourself, you'll run away from it and not accept it. The truth is, it's all there. We all have that in us. There's no way that we don't, you know? So just being honest with yourself that it's there, not beating yourself up because it's there. And by that, I mean smiling at white people, being nice to white people, not wanting to be mean to white people, maybe even thinking, wouldn't it be easier if I didn't know what I know or think what I think or say what I say or try to solve this problem, like all of that stuff. That's by design. And just be kind to yourself and just keep at it and I guess we'll check back in with each other, but hopefully that's helpful for anybody who's still making mistakes like me. Thank you all for listening. Be kind to yourself. Very, very important. Be kind to yourself, even as we work on and refine our codes. Uh, Any other comments? Uh, Folks wanted to make sure they got in to be uh, miss anybody making sure I didn't uh, have any callers who had a hand up that uh, we missed we didn't miss anybody nobody had a hand up that we missed Grant any other comments final thoughts folks want to get in last few minutes before we wrap things up uh, may I be heard yes sir uh, I was just inquiring. I um, wanted to see if there's a like a recommended book list that um, perhaps yourself and other callers could maybe suggest or could be put up on the page. Um, I'm just going, I've been going through the podcast and um, selecting certain books that have been um, uh, authors that have been interviewed and uh, listening, reading through some of those books and picking some of those up that I think are, are helpful. But um, just that question, um, and I'll mute my line. Uh, oh, Gus, can I respond really quick? She said, can she respond? Let's hear it. Okay, I just totally got a universal direct message. I don't know if y'all heard me define that. That's my code for, like, when spirit talks to me or whatever. I'm actually typing up the book list. I do the same thing, but I have done it on my phone. So I have a list of let's see here, I think like 143 books uh, and documentaries. Yeah, 143 of any book or media or even names. Like I have some names of people or things that I needed to look up because I didn't know or I wanted to look further into them. And I'm actually sitting here typing the list now. So when I finish typing the list, I will email it to Gus. Now, I don't have all of the authors. If I had the author, it's there. If it's, if I know for a fact it is not a book, it says media. Um, and then people can just add to it, amend it, or, you know, perfect it. But I have 143. So this is so cool. I'm glad you said that out loud. That's awesome. I'll send it to Gus before I go to sleep. I, uh, Thank you. I have the uh, Dr. Welsing response because someone 
asked Dr. Welsing that uh, for a list of books or two or three books that she would recommend. And her response was, read as much as you can. I do not have one book or a list. Read as much as you can because there is so much to know. And when I heard Emmy's response and she said 143 books, I said, see, that's I'm just going to take what Dr. Welsing said. I was thinking at first that, oh, maybe, you know, you should be more specific and at least have, you know, 10 or 20 that you think are really constructive. But I mean, it's so much to know um, when Mr. Fuller says learn, you know, a little bit about everything that that can be very, very helpful uh, in terms of understanding racism, white supremacy and just the planet, the universe in which we live. Uh, I think that is very, very logical. Uh, and particularly, I'm super comfortable, uh, Gusty Renegade. I'm very comfortable standing by my work and saying, I think over the nine years of the Cows broadcast, I think we have recommended at least a hundred books that I think will probably give you a nugget or two about racism, white supremacy. In fact, the book club alone. I read every book that we have done on the book club when we did uh, Friends Fanon. Not that that was a list or anything that I would recommend, but I guarantee you, if you even read half of the books that we've read on the book club, you will learn quite a bit about the global universal system of white supremacy racism. So I don't have a list. I have tried for years after listeners uh, asked. And at this point, the Cal's uh, archive is the list. Any other folks have commentary? How to support and defend the U.S. Constitution by uh, Edward Williams. And Gus, would you ever write a book? Perhaps. Okay. He's been guest on the program in the archives. We talked about that book. Uh, Mr. Edward Williams, also founder of counter-racism.com was just with us for workplace racism not that long ago. Any other folks have a uh, commentary? I, I will, would just like to uh, share with uh, Miss Emmy uh, because I appreciate her uh, uh, transparency, I guess it's called, to uh, state that she uh, made a grade that she wasn't satisfied with. Well, retired firefighter went to college too before that uh coming out of high school i had a 1.995 grade point average which is not really good uh matter of fact with the standards that is required in the public schools in this part of the world i probably wouldn't have graduated uh uh but uh i was i came up in an atmosphere uh where people excelled and uh i was encouraged and challenged so therefore I didn't lose uh, self-respect in the process. Uh, and uh, when I started getting together, getting together in, in uh, college, you know, it wasn't no stopping as far as that concern. And uh, I managed to uh, get two uh, degrees out of that. Uh, this is even before I even thought about the fire department. <laughs> fire department was just something that came along the way uh, that I ended up taking. But uh I am pretty sure that you can uh, accomplish whatever you set out to do uh, because based on logic uh, from me listening uh, to yourself and, and not just you, it's a lot of people that I hear on this program that appears to be 
uh, younger as far as not so much about what you're saying, it's about uh, where you're at as far as employment is concerned. And uh, I'm pretty sure that all of all of you all are going to be pretty successful in in uh, your endeavors. Just keep uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, and you know, as far as far as I'm I'm concerned. Uh, so uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Cosan on that one. Uh, do we have? Anybody who had something they can get in in 30 seconds or less, we can take a final concise comment unless everybody is satisfied. Anybody have something quick they needed to say? Everybody satisfied? We will call it a broadcast. Uh, Speaking of reading, we will be here tomorrow. The book club, The Hate You Give, study session number five, Woof! This is not a book I am enjoying. This certainly, if Gus T. did have a list, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give would not be on it for enjoyable reading or this is fun or I think you will uh, learn accurate, logical information about the system of white supremacy. But I do think this is very constructive uh, since a lot of black children are being required to read this text and this is being marketed by racists as the black lives matter black lives matter young adult novel uh, for a generation that's the way that this is being marketed i think it is a critical counter-racist study uh, so i am uh appreciating the study, the analysis of the text, and looking forward to picking back up uh, tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, The Hate You Give on the Cows. I will also be here for the compensatory call-in this Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I think for folks, at least it's been my conclusion, a lot of folks, uh, one area that people are always very, very excited to discuss Area 8, uh, Dr. Martin Kevorkian, a couple of weeks back, he was on the program. Uh, he said he saw a seminar with Dr. Carolyn West. She's a black female, uh, actually right out here in the aforementioned Tacoma, Washington area, uh, professor at the University of Washington. She did a documentary on racism in the porn industry. Apparently, she came to the University of Texas, Austin to do this seminar. I spoke with her today. She said she'd be she would love to come on the cows to discuss her work and she framed it as she began seeing some of these images she mentioned uh a film i think it's a porn film uh she mentioned a film that came out in the 80s it's called let's let me tell you about black chicks i think that's what it's called i that title might be a little off but it's close to that i think it's let's let me tell you about black chicks and she said that it caused this big uh controversy and it had clan members running through it and blah 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 and they had to take it off the shelf but she said basically uh, the porn industry, there's no filter. So you get, it's one of the few avenues, the way we were kind of framing the conversation, it's one of the few venues where whites speak honestly about black people. And there's not even a whole lot of analysis of what is said when you look at the images. But she said she was appalled. And then that she said that you don't really hear much analysis from like white feminists who do all this critique of the porn industry, they say nothing about all of this racism against black males and black females in the industry. Uh, it was fascinating. Super looking forward to it. That should be coming up uh, in a few. Again, everyone's favorite area of activity. Be excited. Area 8, 
coming to the cow. And we have been talking about this program. I was telling her we were supposed to do this program like seven years ago. There were so many people from all over the world uh, when I had even suggested we were going to talk about white supremacy in the porn industry. They sent links, redneck confessions, and all these different sites and stuff. We had material piled up for days uh, about all of it. And then for whatever reason, we didn't get around to it. For God, I didn't even think any more about it. But we have come all the way back to it. Dr. Carolyn West, looking forward. I'm, uh, I didn't even get to ask, but now just be able to watch her documentary and see if Redneck Confessions made her film. Coming soon to the cows. With that, uh, certainly, document workplace racism. Document. Very, very important. Uh, and apply what you understand as counter-racist logic. Uh, super important. I've just seen too many times where not being codified on the job produces way more problems. Uh, and so many people that weren't being codified eventually end up saying that they want to be codified because it's causing them problems. Have the courage to go ahead and apply your counter-racist logic. That's how we're going to solve this problem. Uh, Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Race soldiers, they have certainly exploited us when we are not thinking correctly because we are intoxicated most of the time from racist poisons. Uh, it is a counter-racist economic move as well to just say, hey, I'm not going to give out a shilling, not one nickel for any of their narcotics. I'm going to practice black self-respect. I'm going to take great care of my brain computer so that I can accomplish tremendous things. I am brilliant, uh, and I want to make sure that I can come up with concepts, new ideas to get this problem solved immediately. Me being intoxicated is not going to help. It's not going to be, be beneficial uh, towards solving any of my problems, certainly not towards replacing white supremacy with justice. If you're in a vehicle, we want to be sober and buckled up every time, driver or passenger. Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, What's your brother. Problem? You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. Uh.